Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Drifting Prime, and I am your host, Gerald Hernandez. This episode is brought to you by Aeromotive Fuel Systems. Aeromotive is the leading manufacturer of high-performance fuel systems. The company's products are fuel system components of choice for Formula Drift drivers, Matt Field, and Dai Yoshihara. Aeromotive's fuel system customization shop is fully equipped to help you get your project car up and running with fuel systems capable of supporting more than 3,000 horsepower, there's sure to be a solution for you. Visit aeromotive.com and use ProAm to get 10% off your entire order. This week's guest is Nate Hauk of Bink Industries. Nate has worked with Formula Drift Pro and teams like June Mang, Odie Bakchis, Mike Essa, and most recently, Steph Papadakis on Jonathan Castro's car for the 2020 Formula Drift season. Thank you guys for listening, and I hope you enjoy this episode of Drifting Pro-Am. How are you doing? Doing all right. Hanging out. What are you doing? Uh, same thing. I'm just uh, double-checking some audio stuff to make sure we're all good. You can hear me just fine? Yep. I can. Can you hear me all right? Yep. Sounds good. Yep. Uh, I think we're all set. That's it. What's up, man? How's everything? Doing good. Just uh, chilling at home for now. I heard that. Uh, yeah, but uh, other than that, got a solid day in today, and yeah, trying to jam out, get a bunch of stuff done before Christmas, and take a little bit of time off and hang out with family and friends, and yeah, work on some personal stuff for once. <laughs> oh, God, good luck with that. No, it happens, you know, three or four times a year, it seems like. But, Is it uh, like three or four <laughs> days out of the year? Or do you get like a good chunk of time then? No, days. It's days here and there. Um, and it's typically when it's like, okay, I have no choice. I have to fix this or that on either my car or something at the shop. And it's just like, yeah. it's like a, it has to happen now. Yeah, makes sense. So, yeah. So, uh, if you'd like to go ahead and introduce yourself, sir, who you are, what you do, and how you do it. People who, people who don't know you, which I assume anybody who listens to this show might actually know who you are. Maybe, maybe not. Yeah. I don't feel like I'm anything special. But uh, yeah, I'm uh, Nate Hauk. Uh, I am owner-operator at Bink Industries, uh, and I build competition drift cars for a living. I was always curious how to pronounce your last name. Yeah, it's, it's German. So Okay, it makes more sense it, now. <laughs> yeah, phonetically spelled would be H-O-W-K. That's how I spelled it down so I know how to pronounce it later when I go back to do the info because I did oh, the other one the other day from my buddy Rico and I completely yep. pronounced his name wrong. It's, I've been dealing with it since I was born. I assume so. My wife's, my <laughs> wife's learning to deal with it. She's been, we've been married for six, almost seven years now. And she's just like the first year. She's like, everyone gets it wrong. It's like, oh, welcome to the club. Yeah. Get used to it. I imagine yeah. they spell it terribly too when you tell them what it is and they don't know how to spell it. Yeah. It's an interesting uh, combination yeah. of letters, but uh, there's worse ones out there. So I'm stoked that it's not as bad as it could be. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so actually, yep. just to clear the air, I've actually sure. always wanted to ask you to be on, but I always thought that you wouldn't come on because like you do this for a living and then my show is pretty much like a do-it-yourself podcast. 
No, this is I. The thing is, is I love sharing information, helping people, uh, spreading you know any kind of new cool technology that I'm finding out about. I mean, you can pretty much talk to anybody that is in fairly uh, continuous contact with me. It's a, a pretty open book. I mean, there's certain things I will be 100 percent honest that I'm like, yeah, I don't, I don't want to share that. That's certain competitive. Yeah, that was things that I know. It wasn't necessarily that. It was just like, oh, I do this for a living. Like, I'm not just give out, gonna give out all my information, and nobody's gonna come to me if they know how to do it themselves. But uh, I just wanted to clear the air on that. Uh, yeah, no. Thank you for coming on. Absolutely. I have so many questions for you. Uh, Most of the answers, I hope. Um. Anyways, start off. So you work in FD. Uh, you yes. work with teams in the past. Wanna, Several different teams. Yeah, if you want to uh, go ahead and go over your FD career. Um, so to basically two thousand, I was I've been I've been in the drifting as far as like being aware of what it is and uh, getting hooked. I don't remember what year it was to be honest with you. The first time I saw saw it in person, I mean I'd seen videos and stuff. I knew it was cool, but yeah, uh, the yeah, I want to say it was like. Oh, seven, maybe. Yeah, I think it was like oh seven. Uh, I was at the Long Beach Grand Prix uh, with my dad and his friend, and I remember standing right by the fountain, the that they go around the fountain, and it was a break in between races, and all of a sudden I saw, and I'll never forget it. It was Chris Forsberg's car was first. A couple other cars you don't see now. Um, I don't even remember. So I remember seeing them. I don't know who they were, but just coming around the first corner, sliding around. I'm like, oh, what is that? That's kind of cool. And just sliding around right in front of me. And I remember getting on a phone with my friend, uh, Kyle Renaro, who's uh, owner now of the shop Pro Shop Noble. And uh, I was like, dude, what do I need to do to do that? Like, what? I know you got a 240. Like, what do I need to do? And we just started chatting. And that just kind of hooked me. And then after that, it took a couple of years for i was more into off-road back then uh off-road teams and stuff and doing baja best of desert and uh 2012 i started developing parts just out of you know whatever i just wanted to make stuff was making lower control arms i developed my high clearance sway bar and some people saw it uh, and were stoked on it they're like dude uh, can you build those parts for our pro driver? Oh, nice. It's like, sure. Uh, what do you need? And basically, whatever, I tweak some stuff. So that's how I got involved with June Mang's program uh, back in 2000, late 2012, early 2013. And then um, ended up running his program towards the end of the season, ran his program all of 2014. Um worked for Odie uh 2015 2016 2017 uh worked for Essa Mike Essa for 2018 uh a part of a season I guess you would call it for Alec Honadale for 2019 and then I am now currently with the uh, Papadakis racing team nice and I remember um I don't know if you listened to um Maximum Drift Cast is like an ongoing joke about when they bring up Gene Mang for whatever reason. And I was like, I didn't get into it until 2015. Sure. But I finally decided to Google him 
and then I saw you on some YouTube video that was in it. I was like, oh shit, I know that guy. I seen that guy at the track. This was before I knew who you were, actually. <laughs> right, right. Uh, and then I, I met you like a year later. Um, so that's pretty interesting to go for all those teams. Um, now, when you, you being in like the background area, sure, or not, not necessarily the background, but you know, behind the scenes, so to speak. Uh, you know, every, every team has its its way of, I guess, kind of secrecy. I guess. Sure. You know, do you kind of like keep that to yourself, like out of respect for when you go to a new team, just be like, hey. <laughs> I know what those settings are, but I'm not going to be like here. Um, yes, to a certain degree. There's definitely certain things that I give uh, respect to the driver or a certain techniques yeah. or certain things that they do. There's definitely certain things that I don't share. It's just, I, I you know, out of respect, uh, I would hope that I get some of that in return for some of the stuff that I've shared with the drivers that I've worked with. Uh, and I think I get that respect back. Um, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's hard to explain. Um, there's certain items that you learn or certain things that you obtain information wise that happen with a driver. Uh, and it's been with several, um, that you learn. Yeah. And sometimes that's just like, Oh, that's just how I have to do things now. And you just start rolling with that, whether you're with a new driver, the next driver or whatever, that's just starts to equate to your formula of how you do things okay. as bank industries for me. That's, just how Bink Industries does things or, you know, I'll see something, how somebody does something even on a, on a build, right? Uh, uh, just going to different races. And I mean, that was something that was a lot more prevalent in back 2000, probably 11 through 2016. I was going to other motorsport events, uh, pulling technology and trying to see what they were doing. Uh, and you're like, oh, well, that's interesting. Okay. And then you try it on a car and you're like, oh, hey, that really works for what we're doing. Cool. And then you just start, you know, adding that to the list of things that, you know, this is my style of how I like to do things. And Yeah, but getting no. at the same time, getting, um, you know, what I'm looking for, of course, I'm dead on words right now. Uh, like kind of getting inspired by seeing something else, you know, looking sure. at other people's work to like inspire you to have your own ideas to like, oh, I see the way they did this. Maybe I can do it a little bit differently to make it my own. Um, I don't necessarily try and do it on all on my own. That's the the thing is, is my big thing about how every single thing that I do, mm -hmm. I want to know 100% why I'm doing it. I, I don't want any, if you were to ask me, Hey, why do you do that? I better not answer with, well, oh, that's just how I do it. Or I don't know. That's, I saw some other oh, guys. So so there's like a method to your madness. Like it's not just because I every, want to. There's a reason. Every single thing I do to a car is done for a reason. It may not be the right reason, but it is done intentionally and for a reason. Um, I will see things and I go, oh, wow, that's really cool. Or I like this little aspect of it on another car and I'll apply that. If I don't understand something, I don't apply it until I can either research it and understand it more. Or if I can talk to the person that built it and Hey, why'd you do that? Or how'd you do this? Mm -hmm. Or, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And I feel like uh, a lot of the guys that are similar to, I, I don't know how to explain this, but like as an example, Brian from MA Motorsports, him and I talk not often, but we talk. And when we do talk, it's always like, hey, you know, when he was building Mike Powers car, for instance, he's like, hey, how, how do you do this? How do you do that? He bought a bunch of parts from me 
to put onto the car, mm. uh, you know, which was part of what I was trying to do was develop parts to streamline people's builds to make it easier for them, less thinking involved and a better, you know, pro, uh, 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 an easier to work on car at the end of the day. I've done it for several other FD drivers and it, it's working out well. Uh, that goes the other way around. I'll ask Ryan or several other fabricators, you know, Steph included, uh, Essa and him and I talk a lot. Uh, and it's just like, hey, dude, what do you think about this? Or what do you think about that? And just tossing around ideas. And hey, I saw that you did this on this Porsche. Why did you do that? And this and that. Okay, interesting. Never mind. Doesn't apply to me, you know, next. And then you just move on. It's But some somebody else might go, oh, he did that on this car. And then they apply it to their drift car, thinking they're doing something cool when it has no applicity to, you know what you're uh what you're what you're building what you're doing yeah because i know you have like a pretty unique or not necessarily unique but you have like a pretty well thought out like rear bash bar setup on how it works that was uh yeah that was uh due to uh Actually, that was mostly due to Odie uh, being able to use the back end of his car fairly frequently. Um, and it was able to test different, you know, you can build something and some people will build something and never hit anything ever. And so they'll think what they have is perfect until five years later, they finally hit something hard and go, oh, my gosh, I just wrecked the entire back of my car. That obviously didn't work. I got to see that like every round for years, he would hit something with the back of his car. Not in a bad way, like very controlled, like, hey, put it a foot, you know, uh, a little bit further in the wall. He put a little further and it was in the wall. And it was like, oh, interesting. That crushed this way. This crushed that way. Okay. So I use this wall thickness, this type of material. And I take all my notes and I'd go back when I'd get back and I'd, okay, what about this type of metal and this tensile strength and this yield strength and blah, blah, blah. And, okay. Interesting. And what about what wall thicknesses are available? And start playing with stuff. Uh, one of my big things that I pulled from for my current bash bar setup is uh, actually uh, from Robbie Gordon's Super Stadium Trucks. Uh, back in 2013, I saw them like in person at Long Beach and saw kind of how they were doing some of their bash bar stuff and was like, oh, interesting. And I started, again, same, same me back then, started asking some of the guys that were working on the cars. I'm like, why'd you guys do this, like this or that? And they explained what they did. And I go, oh, that's totally applicable to what I do. 100% done deal. And now I'm starting to see a trend of a lot of people doing the same thing, which for me, again, some people might be like, oh, man, he's knocking me up on that. But for me, that's like, dude, take it, dude. This is makes everyone's life easier. Like, I'm not what am I going to do? Patent that? Like, that's so stupid. Like, please do this. I encourage it. I make kits so that people can do it. Like, I just uh, I like to see people out driving, not working on their cars. Hmm. That's um. That's pretty interesting because I haven't heard how you had told Lee had mentioned it uh, when it, I first spoke to you about it. It was like very methodical, and uh, to find out that you got it from uh, trophy trucks is actually kind of amazing. Or well, not trophy trucks, but stadium, stadium trucks, trucks. rather. Sorry, excuse me. Yeah, they're because their whole theory with that whole series is they hit each other, bash into each other, do whatever. And then Robbie Gordon, uh, it's everything serviced by them. The teams that come and race, 
don't service the cars in between rounds. It's like Robbie's crew. Uh-huh. And so they need to make everything as cheap, easy, quick as possible to maintain, to make it a profitable business for Robbie. Uh, so they need to make spares and the ability to have these things crush and crumple, hitting each other, easy to replace. Uh, and, and well, I mean, what the heck are we doing? We're freaking bumper cars out there, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so it is, a, it is very much a contact sport. 100%. Um, and so... Yeah, I had some some drag racer guy who has the same chassis as I uh, I do. I was talking about having making my uh, suspension arms, you know, break under you know a certain extent of impact. Sure. Um, and he's like, "Why would you want it to break?" Like he just he couldn't wrap his head around the fact that I want to replace an arm and not want to get under there and try to straighten out a subframe. Hundred percent. Yeah. So it's that's a a difficult balance. It's a difficult balance. It is. It is. It's like because it depends on well, it depends on what angle you hit from a lot of the times, and that's what's hard. It's like I'll see stuff bend or break, and you're like, oh, well, that's interesting. That's how that hit in this direction, and it completely failed super early. But if I hit in another direction, it might be too strong. So like, it's hard to design around everything. And believe me, I scratch my head all the time because I tend to overthink almost everything in my life and uh, <laughs> i'm getting yeah. to that now yeah it's it's but it's it's fun i like it i you know i like solving problems and if there's a problem i like to be yeah, that, that's the fun part of what i do how do i fix this how do i change something how do i make something different how do i make something that somebody else hasn't that solved a new problem uh, not a new problem but solved a problem in a different way that's better than somebody else that's, that's where i'm currently at trying to make my own uh suspension arms for the rear end because the company that did make them stopped um, production so i was like well people are still interested in this product so i may as well give it a shot right now i'm still like stuck in trying to find right now i'm like stuck at trying to find the correct misalignment spacer size which don't seem to exist so it sounds like they're going to be made yeah you either have to get them made or you have to take ones that exist and uh, modify them that's uh if you're trying to do low quantity that might be cheaper and quicker than trying to get a whole thing you know or a batch cnc or yeah exactly I've, i tried getting into that whole market and i don't know how interested i am in that anymore uh developing angle kits and suspension stuff i have the knowledge i know i know how to build stuff i mean i've modified other companies stuff and made it substantially better to the point where they had to fix their stuff that's actually uh, on my list of topics um, sure. Are we, are we allowed to say that a company? Uh, yeah. Do what you want. I, I'm just saying, so you, the original Wisefab kit for the was it the S14 chassis or is it both? It doesn't matter. They're both so close. Realistically, the only difference is the tension rod mm. uh, location slightly different. So S13 versus S14 lower control arms at the time were two separate part numbers. Now it's the same part number. They just have that piece that bolts and unbolts into the two different locations and also gives the front arm an easier fail point, which is a great idea. And then you, you like that's what you mentioned that you pretty much fixed an issue that was there because it wasn't there like a binding issue. There's a lot of issues and there's still issues with the new kit. There's always going to be issues. And the thing is, is that you can't cater to everybody. So I understand 
where every company, whether it be GK Tech or WiseFab or FBF Fab or any of these guys that are kind of, you know, they're a newer company or whatever, that you can't cater to everybody and, and you can't have it. Everyone's got their own different views and how they want to build it and, you know, little things that people don't understand, like as example in the rear, like there's like five or six different subframes. Like people think there's like S13, S14, and S15. There's variants inside of those that are change geometry. Oh, really? So how do you make a rear grip kit that works perfect for all of them? You don't. How do you know? And maybe they did their research. Did they figure out how many of each subframe were made? If that information is even available and then tried to average it or did they just pick which one they thought was the best type and then just developed around that? Like, I don't know their design criteria, but like that puts a huge load on their decision making. It's not an easy decision. Well, which one do we design it around? You know what I mean? We design around one and now all these other five guys have a problem or do we develop it around the middle ground and then everyone's kind of happy or it just, it's, it's not that, that part's not fun. And that's, I don't want to make those decisions. That makes sense because I know that, um, a previous guest that I had on Garrett or font, I think the Pacific Northwest somewhere. Uh, okay. he got the FDF rear grip kit for his S14 and it didn't work for his car. So he ended up having sure. to go with a wise fat kit. Uh, sure. And he, he couldn't explain why it didn't work. It was like, I don't know. It didn't work. We've tried putting it on. Other shops have tried putting it on. It just didn't work there. Sure. Um, so he ended up just reselling it. Understood. No, it's, you know, I, yeah, I guess I just don't want to talk too much about that side of things. But uh, well, no, no, it's as not far necessarily as, a bad as far product. As the, no, no, no. It's, yeah, exactly. So, uh, but yeah, it's, there was some issues with the V1 WiseFab stuff for sure. And I mean, dude, they pioneered like, a whole new concept into drift that like i mean i'll be honest with you like i didn't understand it i june was offered wise fab in 2013 like halfway through the season mm-hmm. and me being the suspension guy on the team at the time they're like what do you think about this and i'm like nope absolutely not don't know what it is they're telling me to put caster at three degrees that makes no sense the rod ends don't look big enough their arm looks too thick the the it just all of this looks bad this doesn't this this seems like something strange i don't like it and we didn't run it and then we ended up paying for it in 2014 because then i got a kit in front of me and was able to understand what they were doing and yeah i mean there's I still don't, whatever, it doesn't matter. Everyone has their own opinion on how they do things. I, I have a different theory on how I do, I would do a front end. Um, it's not very far off or far-fetched from what they're doing, and it's inspired by what they did. Mm-hmm. The biggest thing they brought into drifting was running trail in the knuckle to be able to reduce caster and uh, still have some sort of self-steer. Um, I didn't even, wouldn't even, probably would have never thought of that, to be honest with you. That being said, once I saw a kit, again, the way I am, I didn't just go, oh, they moved the hub back, like, you know, seven-eighths of an inch. Interesting. And then just apply it to, like, everything I do. I actually went geometrically, took a stock knuckle from a side profile, plotted it in SolidWorks, took a wise one, plotted it in SolidWorks, 
was able to look at them side by side. And as soon as I did that, I was like, oh, snap, I know exactly what they're doing. Because then I have engineering books, uh, race car engineering books, and was able to compute what they were doing and understood their theory, then dissected that, and then was able to create my own theory based off of what they did. Not just going, oh, well, they just moved the hub back. Well, that's great. Anyone can do that. But... It doesn't matter because it's different per car. I've made three major revisions to three different cars, and every single car has a different amount of trail added to it. It's not the same. It's not like a one and done. You can just apply it to every car. You know what I mean? And that, and that's you're you're not. You mean car individually or chassis? Different chassis. chassis. Okay. Yeah, like S. So, like, S14 is different than a Genesis, which I developed a kit for for Audi, and then it was different than a, a, a revision I made for Mike S's car. Actually, I forgot. I did that, too. I took their V1 uh, kit for uh, E46 and made Mike ran my uh, a front knuckle I made for him for, what, two? I think at least two years. So, a uh, different, very different trail. Uh, than what WiseFab was doing. And what's interesting is, is when I plotted WiseFab's trail on the E46 stuff and then compared it to what the S chassis stuff was, it's drastically different. And it's, you know, like, oh, well, that's kind of weird. Why is it completely different? Like, the, th- the theory wasn't applied in the same way from chassis to chassis. But the problem that was arising in Mike's car was due to the fact that they didn't apply what they did with the S chassis to the E46. So then I addressed it. And now all of a sudden Mike's like, Oh my gosh, this is the best front end I've ever had. And now I can run like a pretty standard alignment and not have to have any problems. Yeah. So, um, didn't you make a, uh, a rear trailing arm for that car too? I did. I remember I seeing it. I remember you guys are swapping out at early. And he was like, that doesn't look like a cast iron stop. Oh, it's like a, tro- like a like a trophy truck. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But plate thing. It was that was a. What was the purpose of that? Oh, I drastically changed the geometry in the back end of the E46, like crazy different. And, and, and you didn't my, see I, the market in that to to push that, or you just wasn't something you wanted to do. Uh, I was, was absolutely what I wanted to do, but. Uh, Again, that that market is very competitive, and uh, to bring something like that into the market takes a decent amount of capital. Mm, uh, understandable. And uh, you can't you can't have it like built to order for guys who need it yesterday. You can. It's real expensive. <laughs> and the thing is, is like doing that much welding on like a plate, like arm, mm-hmm. like you're. Like, okay, what's an S chassis rear grip kit? Like all the arms, knuckle, everything. I don't know what the price is, but I think it's under just under 2K, isn't it? Like 18 or 16 or something. I, I don't I don't know what the price is, but um, like the rear trailing arms for an E46, if I did them like per order, they'd be like six or seven grand. Oh shit. Like it's just dude, I mean, you're well I'm welding for two days straight. Okay, that makes sense. They're just it's a lot of welding. It's and then the jig, it's it's yeah. It's a lot of work to make those things. But the geometry change is so crazy. And I remember the first time I went out testing with Mike, 
again, I, I didn't really pay attention. I mean, I obviously paid attention because he was a competitor, but didn't pay too much attention. And then when I went out testing with him for the first time in 2018, when I built the trailing arms and he threw the car sideways and whatever, that balcony initiate and then swing out to that, like, you know, dirt spot right in front of the, uh, the entrance. Mm-hmm. And he got out of the car. He's like, that car's never done that before. I'm like, what are you talking about? It looked great. He goes, yeah, I got off throttle and that thing floated for like 60 feet instead of snapping straight. This is stupid. I can't, like, he just, it never done anything like that before. And so that is, it was, it was st- I was stoked because a theory that I had in my head based off of compiling a few different chassis I had worked with ended up being able to apply that to a completely different chassis cycling suspension movement stuff on the bench you know or on the lift and measurements and measurements and measurements. i mean i was back and forth from his shop all so much that season and then just probably almost two weeks behind the computer and then came up with what we came up with and it was pretty awesome that's i wish i had the uh, capabilities of doing some of those things that you guys are able to figure out. It's a, it is a long task just figuring out how to make two little arms that are straight. It's, 100%. It's, 100%. But I, I would assume it snowballs and that's how it starts to go from making one little straight arm and then now look at where you're at now. Right, well, exactly. So I did that. Start with straight arm and then now, Gerald, you're going to be, oh, okay, well, now I need to make this curved one. Well, now I need to make this one that's got an arm uh, suspension link that goes in the middle of it. So now I need to make, you know, whatever. It's just And it's just, well, I already know how to make the straight one, so now I just need to figure out a bed. Well, now I just need to figure out how to add tabs to the middle. Because it's, once you figure one thing out, you just take the next step up, next step, and it's just, that's Pretty much that's a process of elimination. Doing. 100%. Yeah, that was the problem with this thing, because I can't afford to pay somebody to make an angle kit, and no one is ever going to make one for this thing unless I can uh, spend, you know, Lots of monies. I'm not cheap. It, no, no one is. I've I've asked you. I've asked just around just to get some pricing, and I was yeah. like, it's not cheap at all. No, it's not, and it's it's not due to just me being like, oh, I'm gonna rip you off. It's just it takes time, which is money, and it takes a lot of parts yep. that are expensive. Yes, and they knowing are. Knowing where to get those parts and just ah. Uh, I mean, done it. I made two, doing it. Yeah, I made like two little arms, and I'm in it like 200 bucks. Sure. Yeah, and that's... And they're still just pieces. They're not even welded together yet. Yep, yeah, you saw it. <laughs> <laughs> they're still just pieces. Uh, so, I've been still doing it, and I love it. And it's... I absolutely love it. Um, you So, going back to the Genesis you were talking about, sure. that you made that kit from scratch, like without nothing? Mm. Yes and no. Um, or you no, correct something then, else? I corrected something else, but I could have very easily started from scratch. Mm-hmm. Um, PBM's kit was what was on the Genesis when we got it from Arc Performance. And so they make a plate, which they, I don't know for positive if if, if PBM did this or not, but <laughs> I'm going to put my... my uh, myself out there and say that I think that they got inspired by uh, Reese Millen's uh, mod that he did to his, which was the Genesis from the factory has two outer ball joints uh, on the knuckle. It's not one single ball joint, it's two. Um, and so after you get past a certain angle, they 
they over center. Forget about the tie rod; those things over center, mm-hmm. uh, and that's done for a geometric reason. Uh, basically, trying to virtually put the ball joint out in a location that they can't physically put it because maybe the rotor's in the way or whatever. They're, whatever they're trying to do with scrub radius and whatever, uh, they can't put it there, so they split the arm. Same thing with like a nest chassis, right? The top is two separate arms, but they're pointed towards each other to create a virtual ball joint. Wherever those, if you were to take the outer or the subframe side ball joints and draw straight lines through their knuckle side and keep going till they intersect, that is the virtual spot. That's the virtual ball joint that they've placed. Hmm. So on an S chassis, that's past the rotor. They can't physically put a ball joint there. So then you split the arm, put two, you know, ball joints or huge joints or whatever up top. And then now you can put it geometrically, virtually where you where you want it. So you get rid of that. You put a single one on the bottom. So they would just, Reese just chop the bottom of the knuckle off. And because the Genesis has a four bolt flange uh, bearing, he made a plate that just sandwiched between. So it was like bearing, stock knuckle, and then his plate. And then he had all his geometry below. Um, PBMs was similar, but it was out of sheet metal instead of a billet piece. Mm-hmm. Um, but they just made something fairly simple and it worked. And it yeah, made, yeah. you know, a lot more angles in stock and, you know, uh, did its job. Um, but again, with me having dissected what WiseFab did, and then understood it and then created my own or formulated my own theory. I applied that to the Genesis. And I remember Odie getting out of the car during our first test day with my fix, which mind you, I'll say it now, we made revisions later, but it was about, I want to say 80 plus percent there. And he was just like, dude, I don't know how you can like look at numbers and figure things out like on paper and apply this like thing. And then it just works this good out of the box. Like he was, he was impressed with my ability to, you know, put together geometry, uh, geometric uh, suspension things and have it work out really well. Um, I again loosely translating what happened that day, but uh, I was excited. It was really cool. But we had a lot of aha moments that year for sure. Uh, Odie, I would not have been able to have developed what I developed on that chassis or learned what I learned with that chassis without Odie being the uh, my uh, what I call my meat logger. <laughs> my uh, he's not a data logger. He's a meat logger. He's a human. He's a human data logger, and he's able to dissect what happened when he did the run and explain it in a very easy to understand way. And I was able to take that information and together him and I were able to come up with, okay, it did that. Cool. I know I can do this, this, and this, and this. Okay. I need that. Boom. And then we would apply it. I build something, we put it on the car. He goes, it's better. Okay. Now there's this new thing. And then you're just this constant thing with the Genesis. And that was such an exciting and fun year for me working with him, uh, to develop that chassis. Yeah, I remember seeing you with like always having a notebook around, especially when you guys would go do like test days, even if it was like a Thursday night drift at Irwindale. That's always I. It, I don't go to anywhere without my notebook. It, it, I wish I would remember to bring one for my own reasons because no. I don't remember shit when I go to write stuff down. Yeah. Uh, exactly. That's why I bring a notebook. Yeah. See? As uh, was my one of my favorite quotes. Uh, uh Indiana Jones. 
uh, his, uh, he's asking, uh, Indiana Jones is asking his dad. He's like, well, whatever, they're doing something at some point in the movie. I forget exactly what it is. And he's just like, Dad, why don't you remember? He's like, I wrote it in my diary so I don't have to remember. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I wrote it down so I don't have to remember. I have stacks and stacks and stacks of notes, and it's just constant. Whether I write it down on the spot or write it down later, it doesn't matter. It's always... I always write. I just write, write down everything. It's crazy. Excel sheets, you, you name it. It's I love it. Um, segueing off of the uh, Genesis. Sure. Going into Taylor Hole's car because if I'm not mistaken, the knuckle was similar. <laughs> so that knuckle was originally developed for the Genesis. That uh-huh. was supposed to be a complete one piece replacement for it. Uh-huh. Um. And I got uh, approached by one of Taylor's old crew chiefs. And they said, hey, man, do you have anything or you could build me something? I was like, dude, I have this thing I built for the Genesis and it ended up not working. I was off. Keep in mind, let's backtrack just slightly. The geometry and everything was perfect for the Genesis. The problem was (laughs) literally I just. I got the whatever you want to call it. Basically, I mismeasured something for the strut, the, the strut to bolt, and I was exactly one bolt hole too wide for the strut to go through after I built everything. And I'm just like, go to bolt it on. We bolted everything on the Genesis, and it was like, and I have pictures of it. And it's just like one bolt hole off. I'm like, oh, you got to be freaking kidding me. All of that work. And it was like days before Irwindale. And we're like, you know what? Just take it off and put the other stuff back on. We'll figure something out for next season if we run the car. And I took the stuff off. Funny story was I shipped this stuff to to them. And my mess up, they, their coilovers bolted directly to what I did. Oh, nice. I have no idea how that worked. Like the coilover to the knuckle was perfect. Uh, and uh, anyways, they chopped it up and did a bunch of stuff to it and made it work for their application and uh whatever their theory was and uh it worked to some degree i suppose and we found some weak points in the knuckle season after that i tried helping taylor out with some bending issues that uh, you know again fully transparent there was some bending and uh, issues with it and um we made a revision for him for the following year um I haven't talked to him too much since, but I don't know. I mean, it seems like the same style of knuckle is on there. Maybe they've made some revisions or some changes. Uh, I don't know. Maybe it worked. I'm, I'm not entirely sure at this point. But uh, well, yeah, but yeah, that comes with part development. You're not going to get it right the first time, and no one should. Oh, uh, I disagree with you. Really? I think you should get it right <laughs> the first time on a car you've never really touched. I I I challenge myself to do that. I, can get I think that, that too. I should be able to do that. No, I think I should be able to do it. Okay, That's I, I my problem. That. And my pridefulness is I have enough knowledge in my head to to do that. And if I don't, then I'm I don't know. I'm either I I I would like to think that I have everything figured out and not everything, but you know what I mean? Like I just enough information to build something that's not going to break the first time. Um but, you know, I, I, it doesn't always work out that way sometimes. I'm, I'm completely opposite. Like, I thrive off of mistakes I make. Uh, no. I, so, when the mistake is made, I don't get mad. I don't yeah. get upset. Like, I can't believe I made that. It's just like, oh, huh, I missed that. Okay, 
what do I need to do to fix that problem? And then just kind of, you know, duly noted that like, okay, keep and be aware of this in future projects. The, the biggest thing that I, I deal with in general is repeat mistakes. Those, those piss me yes, off. Yes, I agree I with you. I hate repeat mistakes. If something happens twice, then I get mad at myself and or other people or whatever situation. Repeat mistakes do not work well with me. I just don't handle them well. Yeah, I'm the same way. Um, I do like learning from my mistakes. I do encourage mistakes, especially like in my field of work, because I feel that's how you learn from them. You know, 100%. it's when you make the same mistake over and over, you're kind of an asshole. Um, yeah. So, but I was always curious about how that car worked out. Uh, I don't know what the, I mean, Taylor seems like he's doing fairly well. I helped him get a part yeah. on his car. Uh, in Texas, he broke a uh, lower control arm bolt. It's a, you know, fairly long five eighths bolt, yeah. which is not super common, I guess. And um, I had pulled an element of uh, Steph's knuckle from the Corolla and saw how he kind of bolted a plate to the knuckle so that he could either change so he could change Ackerman and I furthered that and made it so that my knuckle was Ackerman and trail adjustable so if you're like well I want more or less trail we could play with it by just well I have a CNC plasma table at my shop but either laser or whatever just I could cut out another plate bolt the plate on and have completely different suspension geometry in the front and it was more just kind of a opening up the ability to test things further if we ran the Genesis for 2017. Um, so sure enough, we're in Texas and in Jonathan's trailer was, you know, a bunch of parts and the tailor comes over and um, asks for this long bolt. And uh, I look over at Aldo and I'm like, hey, he's, he's like, oh, what do you need? I was like, he needs a 5.8 fine thread bolt. I used one on the car because I copied your uh, part of your guys' uh, knuckle. He's like, oh, well, we had something like that on Tanner's car. That's in our trailer. Go go in the trailer and see if you can find him. And then sure enough, right there in the bolt bin is the exact same length. I mean, and I didn't oh, nice. like know what the length of the bolt. He was perfect. I'm like, dude, Taylor, here you go. Oof. Oh, my gosh. Thank you. Oof. And then they took off and got the car back together. Yeah, so, we've been driving really well this year. Um, he did. I was really excited for him to see him do as well as he did. Um, there's a lot of a lot of controversy and talk about whatever he's doing. I we're, know we're, we're going to leave the window out of this. Let me tell you right now, I have not seen a single battle at Irwindale, except for whatever rounds I was pretty much involved with. I I didn't watch a whole lot. Yeah, uh, I imagine you guys don't get to. You're, you're, you're busy doing stuff. Yeah, and, exactly. Uh, like, it's like, oh, we got knocked out. Okay, well, guess what? You have like 45 minutes of work of like getting stuff packed up in the trailer and getting it back to your pit and then unloading it. And then for us... And that's if you don't wreck. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Before uh, you have yeah. to load up. Exactly, which we had to deal with in Seattle. Because uh, you guys have to fit, you guys pretty much try to fix the car as much as possible before you get it back to the shop, right? Uh, or at least no. get it rolling? Mm, yes. Who's that going to get in the trailer? Yeah. Yeah, it. we have to get it in the trailer. So it's got to be at least to be able to get in the trailer. Every team is different. Uh, you know, some guys, they're, they stay late and they stay after and they fix the car at shops and then drive out to the next round, dump the trailer, and then they're ready. 
Other guys show up, you know, make a list of things, ship them all out to a shop, show up early. They fix the cars. Uh, other teams have the benefit of being able to bring the cars back home every round, which is not common, but there's definitely a decent chunk of guys that are able to do that. And then they prep them at the shop. Um, have you worked with both teams that do both? Like where the, some guys will leave the car and then the guys that will actually bring the car back home? hundred uh, percent. So uh, June 2014, we, um, we would fly out early. We would make our list. We would fly out early and we would spend a full day uh, prepping the car, getting stuff ready. What was the issues? You know, we'd fix it all and then drive out to the chest. So basically Thursday practice, right? So we'd fly out Tuesday or red eye. We would red eye Monday night, get there Tuesday, prep the car. And then, I don't know. Red Eye, I'm sorry, Red Eye Tuesday night, get there Wednesday morning, prep the car all day, get a little bit of sleep, and then show up Thursday practice. Uh, if anything went wrong, like, or we didn't have something, like, we were a screwed kind of deal, but we made it the whole season. Um, OD 2015, um, you know, I'm not remembering that season too well as far as prep. I remember Odie would fly out, I think, early and prep the car somewhere or places or at the track. I think it was at the track, maybe. I don't remember. I wasn't involved with that part. I would show up on Wednesday night. Uh, I don't like showing up to events um, tired. I did the red-eye thing. It doesn't work for me. Um, I don't feel like I can perform the way I need to for the teams I'm working for, so I fly out the day before on my dime just to make sure that I'm worth the money you're paying me for. So um, I want to be well rested uh, the day I go into it. Obviously things can happen during the event and you, you know, you lose sleep. I've done all nighters at the track and stuff, but um, yeah. So, and then OD 2017 and 16 with Falcon, the cars would come home every round so we would prep at Odie's shop. Uh, sometimes I didn't need to go. And then there was other times where I would have to show up with, you know, modified parts and we would go testing. And we'd actually, the 2016, we, I think we tested every single round before, in between every round. So we did like five or six testings at least before Long Beach. And then we did Long Beach and then we went testing, prepped the car, went to Atlanta, came home, tested, Went to Florida, came home, tested like it all the way to Seattle, and we won the event in Seattle, and we beat Frederick Oslo for the first time, which was Bodie's big achievement because he had lost like I think four times at that point. Yeah, wasn't it like Frederick Oslo's kryptonite for a while? Uh, yeah, Frederick Oslo was our kryptonite. Yeah, so um, and. Uh, he ended up uh, winning him that event. Now, me and Odie, I remember we were hanging out after the event. And he's just like, all right, I think we can stop messing with the car. I think it's pretty good now. <laughs> <laughs> I remember so, uh, seeing something like on one of his uh, Instagram stories, might even been a post, where he went out to like a field and grabbed a front subframe from an S14. Because um, he cracked his at one. I can't remember what round it was. It was a, it was a power steering rack. Um, and that was Justin, Pe- I think it was in the back of Justin Peterson's shop. Um, go ahead. Justin Peterson's shop. Give me one second. I need it. I hear what you're doing. I need to make me a drink. <laughs> one second. 
All right. Sorry about that. Jeez, you take so long. Uh, I'm in my living room. I actually normally <laughs> record in my garage, but to get oh, the sound quality a little better, I decided to come to my living room. But now that means I got to get up and go ah. to the kitchen when I want to pour myself another drink. <laughs> so, yeah, no, Justin, um, Justin, I think, had one in the back of his shop, and it was like, literally buried in the ground borderline and uh we pulled one out and this was in between because we had crashed in florida really hard against james dean i think we just his front end just snap understeered into into the wall um don't know what happened um yeah don't really know what happened uh we replaced so many parts on the front that and I don't, yeah, I don't think I was, I'll be honest, I don't think I was smart enough back then to really dig into the power steering system to see if there was some sort of failure there because the rack was bent. So we just replaced that. We just we replaced a bunch of stuff and everything worked when we put it back together. And just the question, we just didn't have to question anything. And Odie, I remember, felt like, I don't think he felt like it was any kind of a driver error. And it's like, I just, everything was just, that was just a really weird crash. It was just uncharacteristic. Everything about it was just weird. Um, But yeah, then, so then they had to fix that. And yeah, Justin, uh, Royal Key Performance, that's his shop out in in Atlanta. He's got a tight ship over there. He's got a good shop out there. So Um, is that the guy that works with uh, T-Pain? No, that's uh, that's uh, Jerry Yang. I don't want to say he works with them, but they T Pain went out and drove, uh, took some ride alongs with Taguchi, and Jerry Yang is his uh, Jerry Yang's his crew chief and builds the cars and runs the program. Wait, oh, I'm thinking somebody. I thought it was another guy. I didn't, or maybe I didn't understand. I don't know who T Pain does work. I just know that he like got into drifting and he did some ride alongs at a track event that then he took some ride alongs in Taguchi's pro car. That's all I know. I want ride alongs in Taguchi's pro car. I've actually never done a ride along. I think I'd be car sick. Uh, I've actually only done a couple and every single time it's been, uh, fairly business oriented as far as why I'm in the car. It's like, I need you to feel this or I can't figure this out. Get in the car. And he's like, okay. And just, yeah, you just, yeah, I get, feel it out. I drove up to uh, big bear. I drive up there like quite often actually for work. Sure. Never have a problem driving up there myself. Right. Uh, this, last, yep, this last yep. time I was passenger seat. I was like, Hey man, pull over. <laughs> That's my wife, 100%. Yeah. She can drive anywhere, and you put her in the passenger seat, and she's like, nope. uh, I can't do this. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, I feel her pain. I remember being on a missions trip in Australia <clears throat> when I was in high school. Uh, Australia and New Zealand, this uh, girl, Barbara, uh, she was like, oh my gosh, her, she was so, mo- she would get so motion sick so easy. If she drove, I mean, like 15 minutes in a car, even down straight roads, like she would get car sick. But if she's driving, completely fine. Like she was the like the most motion sick person I've ever met. But if she's driving, completely fine. Yeah, I wonder what that is. It's, 
I don't know. I don't understand. I well, I don't get sick so like that, so I don't understand. But uh, yeah, kind of crazy. Um, another question I want to ask you about that handbrake that you stopped making and why? Because I wanted one so bad. They, uh, I'll be again transparent. They're the braking. Uh, I built one as a prototype and fully welded it all the way up because it was all sheet metal and that was my big thing like everyone's making all these stupid billet things and i want to make a sheet metal one because no one's doing it um it looks like, so it, sick oh this is awesome and um i finished welded the first one and it warped like you would not believe i mean i tried everything to keep the heat low it warped and i bent and struggled with it in the vice and got it straight and it looked awesome. I'm like, oh, this is dope. All I got to do is build some sort of jig that keeps it from warping when I weld it. So my shop next door to me uh, was Peter, and he had a CNC shop. And so I was like, dude, can you CNC me like a thing that slips in the middle? So when I weld it, it can't warp. And then when I'm done welding, I'll pull the thing out. Because it's all, the thing I had to make was out of aluminum. Um, so I figured it'd be like a heat sink. Uh, yeah. Uh, the first one I tried welding like that, it got stuck. And I had to like ruin the handbrake to get the piece of aluminum out. I'm like, okay, well, an internal piece wasn't working. So let me do an external one. So I bought these big plates of aluminum and had him CNC cut the profile of my handbrake in it so I could sink it into it. And then clamp it down from the top with a skinnier profile. Like, dude, I overthought the crap out of this thing. And uh, welded that one, pulled it out, turned into a C. It just warped all one direction because it was soaking heat from one side and not the other. And I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to throw this thing away. And um, my dad was like, because my dad's a successful business owner as well. And he's just like, no, 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 no. I'm the king of saving stuff. Like, we're going to figure this thing out. I'm like, nah, it's done. She didn't throw these things away. They're done. Like, it's cool. I tried. I always had a ton of money on them, but we're just going to throw them away. And he's like, well, why don't you just, like, spot tack them in certain spots, like, strategically, and then it should be fine. I'm like, I mean, it's worth a try. So I tried one, clamped it in my vice, and I literally was, like, bouncing on it, hanging. And I'm like, dude, this thing's not moving. This is ridiculous. I can't believe this worked. I built like 50 of them. You got one laying around? I have like 40 something left that are not going to ever get used on anybody's car. Oh, is it one crack? One. I had a couple of guys. uh, I had a couple of guys. Actually, so less than 40. So I had a few people. So I sold six and five people broke them no no yeah that's pretty sweet so uh i mean we had one in mike s's car for all of 2018 and it worked perfectly fine and even mike was like i don't know what these guys are doing to break these things like i'm pulling on this thing hard and it is not doing anything and i'm just like you know what i i just can't put anything out there like that so i yeah i i just stopped selling them yeah. yeah, yeah, they're cool. I'd like to do something very. Where's my dog? Heard it. Yeah, join in on the fun. 
Yeah. <coughs> You're not the only one that gets to talk to people. Come on. She's got to talk to somebody, too. Uh, she talks to me all day. Yeah, she's, uh, there you go. She's good. Her, <laughs> I have four dogs. That's good. I'm a big dog person as well. I love dogs. Uh, They're... I do now. Before I met my girlfriend, I was like, why does your dog keep licking me every time I come over? And then I like, fell in love with this dog. And yeah. Like my child. Yeah, I've had my first dog. I got in sixth or sixth grade, and I've always had a dog since. And yeah, they're they're amazing. They're a huge part of my life. Yeah, same here. Yeah, uh, same. You were saying? Sorry. Oh, I don't remember. Oh, that makes two. Oh. Uh, oh, it was about uh, Mike not breaking his handbrake and everybody else, oh, and you not wanting yeah, to yeah, there it is. It's fine. Hold them. Not making them again. They're not happening. I've had so many people beg for them. They're like, oh, I don't care. Like now, <laughs> I'm sorry. I don't care. I don't care. <laughs> so it's all good. It was a cool experiment. I tried. Um, again, it was literally like, okay, I just started my shop in 2017. Like, like on my own, in my own shop space. Like, what's a product I can make? Well, I got to have my own handbrake and tried it. And yeah, it didn't work out. And so I, you know, I got to eat stuff. The people make mistakes. People yeah. do things that don't out that was one of them and i had to eat it and that's you know it's like totally... a very limited amount of handbrakes because i remember when i first started looking for one it was a very limited product and then out of nowhere there was like there was like ASD, 20 people had them yeah asd had theirs og one i mean that one's been that's like i think that was like one of the first mass produced ones um and then uh was it cnc Oh, CNC had theirs way before, but that's off-road stuff. Um, they had the single pole, and then they had their double pole, because in off-road, you don't run. If everyone thinks, like, oh, you're off-road, you run a spool or some sort of an LSD in the back or four-wheel drive. Absolutely not. The uh, I ran in Class 5, uh, which is the class that I raced in, um, which is a Volkswagen uh, open class. So it's a full tube chassis. You can run basically as much of a motor as you want. It just has to be an air-cooled Volkswagen motor, 105-inch wheelbase, and you have to have some uh, beam front suspension and some sort of part of a Volkswagen. Some part of a Volkswagen what? um, We literally just use the window frame of the car. Like the window frame, that was the only part. It had four bolts that bolted on to the tube chassis. We were one one hundred five wheelbase, beam front suspension, like beefed up like crazy. Our air cooled motor, I think it was a three liter Type Four Volkswagen motor, making two hundred and thirty horsepower. Na like dual carbs, like that thing was stupid. Like, I mean, again for a Volkswagen motor, that's a lot. And uh, you know, I don't know what the chassis weighed. Um, but anyways, it was, uh, yeah, that was, uh, that was a fun, fun car to, fun, fun car to run. So you, uh, dri- you've driven yourself in the past. Race, that was. Uh, you drove. I co- you were I co-drove. Okay. I co-drove. I've done... My fair share of, you know, interesting things on the street. Mm-hmm. Um, co-drove for off-road. Um, 
you know, your job duties a lot different than driving and co-driving with off-road. My job was, especially during testing, was feeling out suspension settings. And, you know, Cody, the driver of the car, Cody Kellogg, he would drive the car and he would feel it out the best he could. And then I would have my input on like, hey, you know, I because I don't have the things to concentrate on driving and, you know, uh, reading terrain. Mm. He would deal with that. And I would just be like, I don't want to say closing my eyes, but I had less things to deal with. So I would feel the car to me like, dude, the back end of this car keeps feeling like it wants to swap ends. Like we need to take some, you know, compression out of the the back end because it just it keeps, you know, it keeps wanting to bounce all over the place. And oh, I didn't even feel that. And it's like, OK, cool. And then my other job was just calling out major obstacles, you know, coming up. Uh, major corners not full rally style um you would definitely get in rhythm in certain sections of the course where it would get more technical you would start calling it out and you know try and feel out the course and try and call things out you know based off of time and um you know big holes you know rock on inside and this and that just it was very basic call outs it wasn't like you know what you would think with rally it was like oh left 30 you know crest seven well yeah you know, that's what i was thinking when you said co-driver it's not that crazy it was more just like you know left you know we so like me and cody used to actually train with uh playing dirt two the rally the game, game. he had it on xbox yeah we played on the game he put the map in the corner and i would just make the callouts and so we basically made our own code instead of like rally code or whatever we just made what we were comfortable with and so what we were comfortable with was one two three one was light two was medium and three was like basically borderline hairpin and it was driver or passenger instead of left or right because it's just easier driver passenger um and so it was just you know driver you know driver one six hundred and I would just call out distances, you know, based off the GPS. So he would know it was kind of coming up. Uh, if we had any notes on our GPS, because sometimes we can pre-run the course, we can put markers in. Uh, some courses you can't pre-run. So your whole first lap, if it's a lap type of thing, your whole first lap is a pre-run. And you're putting in markers, but you can't put too many because you got to remember them. And then call out the second lap, and then you have to explain your callouts on the driver change to the next guys. So yes, off-road was yeah, it was a little different. It was it was interesting. It was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed it. I've always wanted to get into like other forms of motorsports as well. I just thought for some reason this was the mo- looked like the most fun, the most tangible, and I realized you can just go out in any car and go do it. Uh, you say that, but like the stuff we did, like. Like guys in our series like complain about coilovers and their cost. They're like, oh, I can't afford them. And like the entire car's worth of like three-way coilovers for a drift car is the same cost as one corner on an off-road car. I did say this was the most tangible one. <laughs> so. Yeah, it's it's just it's crazy how expensive it is. So it's like five. Uh, what is it like five, six grand for like a set of three ways, uh, roughly? So in off-road, we don't do three ways per se. It's more uh, what they call bypass shocks. Mm-hmm. So they're position sensitive. So imagine you have the length of the shock, right, that the piston travels through. Okay. You can make the first section, uh, first like two inches of travel, feel 
like one way and then the next two a different way and the next three a different way so you can section them all off by placing the bypass tubes in different sections hmm, that's actually really interesting it's, there's it's it's very different so like you could make an off-road car for the first let's say three or four inches of wheel travel super loose and it's just you know you're like oh there's nothing there it's just yeah, like flying on top of it like, yeah yeah but then you hit something super hard and it goes past that once it goes past that bypass tube it's blocked off and now it's on the next tube and now it's stiffer to whatever you've tuned that tube to and it's it's very interesting and that's yeah, I mean, you'd have to do your own research. To that's a whole another conversation. No, I, I see what you're practice. saying. It, it does make sense to have you know the first four inches softer, and then as you get in, or even the harder, and as you get in, it sure. gets softer towards the you know if you bottom out or you like a most or basic, you land. But yep, the basic like coilover or well, coilers bypass tubes or, or bypass shocks are typically three tube one rebound and then uh, uh, like a halfway through and then like the other half mm-hmm. on the compression side. Um, but I mean, they've got four or five, six. I don't even know. It probably gave so it's kind of like now, stages, so to speak, I guess. Exactly. Okay, yep. that would make sense. And you, and you can place those in different spots and people are like, you know what, this, you have shock piston theory and like different shim stacks and fluid and pr- uh, nitrogen pressure and all this other stuff that we're dealing with and now add position into that it's that's just a whole nother thing it's it's really it's really interesting it's nothing that i'm like knowledgeable on on like where to put the the tubes or what's you know advantageous in certain areas it's just information that i never understood fully i just knew we tweaked with stuff and made stuff better so it's a little before i understood shocks as well as i do now not that i understand them well now but just better than i did then yeah, that's uh, the way you explained it. I, I was able to kind of comprehend it a little bit. I'm not going to the world. Uh, speaking of shop stuff. Sure. Uh, to kind of talk about um, car setup a little bit. Maybe not, uh-huh. you know, maybe just the topics, so to speak. Because everyone... Uh, I, I had mentioned something recently. It was on Facebook. I was like, "Do not tell everybody your alignment specs, so so you're not ridiculed for being a dumbass." Or do you not tell them because not every car is the same, and everyone's alignment specs are different. Uh, with that, I want to talk about car setup, and you know, necessarily where to start, um, which is great. But what is the end goal for somebody who doesn't necessarily know what they're looking for. Yeah, we also were we're fighting for grip. Uh, sure. Or, or most a lot of people are. Um, sure. But at the end of the day, what what is the balance that we're looking for to achieve um, success in a in a properly set up vehicle? First and foremost, whatever you think somebody else's alignment setup is, don't necessarily take that to like heart scripture okay it's not it's you have to be able to drive the car correct so if you can't drive a gripped up car you can't drive a gripped up car if you like a lot of side bite then you like a lot of side bite if you like a lot of forward bite you like a lot of forward bite if you it's just every driver is a little bit different i think personally there's an ideal competitive setup and my theory is 
the jockey theory. The jockey doesn't get to pick the horse. Jockey has to get on the horse, and jockey's got to ride the horse. Yeah, he might not be easy to ride. He might not be he not be nice, but you have to figure that horse out, and then you have to ride it to its full potential. And when you do that, and you're good at that, that makes a good jockey, and that good jockey can ride the most difficult to ride horse and bring it to a win. Does that make sense? Yeah, I totally agree with it. But not everyone can do that. And yes. I have, and you and I both have to understand that it's just like you can't give it, you know, 110% on grip and this insane power band and all this crazy stuff and then have, you know, a, a, a newbie jump in the car and be like, oh, yeah, dude, I got this and like just nail it. Like you can't, you can't do that. There's just, it's, you just can't do it. So um, some, some guys can. Uh, I, personal opinion after having worked with him. I think Odie is definitely one of those guys. I think Mike Essa is also one of those guys. You set up the car for the maximum potential that that chassis can do. They will pull every ounce out of it. They are that jockey that can drive the horse to a win, given the proper horse. Yeah. But there's other guys that you give them that same horse and they're going to underperform. But you you give them a slightly less caliber of a horse and they're going to be leaps and bounds better because it's easy for easier for them to make that horse do what they need it, what they need it to do. So that's all for my analogy. As far as like actual chassis setup, there's like a general rule of thumb just to make a chassis work well for any car is typically Eighth inch of toe out in the front, eighth inch of toe in in the rear. Front camber really varies depending on if you have um, a trail knuckle or a kind of standard, I guess, more stock style knuckle. Stock style knuckles require a little bit more ca uh, camber mm -hmm. to combat the uh, tire rollover from caster. And the trail knuckles typically require a lot less. Um, trail knuckles are typically between, let's say, four to four to five. And a non-trail knuckle would be maybe five to maybe six and a half. As you get past that, it gets a little funky. Um, rear, I always say set it at zero and you adjust based off of tire wear. Do not even worry about what your camber is. Like, oh, is my camber is this degrees or whatever. I don't pay attention to that. It's turns. I set it zero. You go out and you do a run. And just my experience over time, I can kind of guess pretty well after one or two runs. Or one or two sets of tires, sorry. Um, but you just look at it and go, oh, it's wearing on the outside. So, okay, crank it in. Do a turn on the camera on. One full turn. All right, go do you know another run. Oh, hey, it's better, you know. Or I need a little more. Okay, do a half turn. That's it. And assuming yes. you have a double adjuster like I do on my arm, um, and you can mark one side, mark one of the corners so you know. Yeah, you just sharpie line and yeah. yep, exactly. Um, now, does driving style? Because you were kind of bringing it up earlier about how, like, you know, you can you can put Mike Essa in a car and it doesn't matter what the setup is, he's going to drive it to its full potential no matter what. Sure. Um, yep. 
now let's say you have somebody well who is like Mike Essa. He does seem to like stand on throttle if I'm not mistaken. Uh, at least from his tire snap it looks like that. Um and a lot of angles. Do you set that car up for that driver? Or do you have to do you really need to like tell the driver like, hey, you gotta like come off a little bit? Uh, drivers of that caliber, they tell me what they need, and I have to decipher what they're explaining and turn it into a chassis setup. Mm-hmm. My, both Odie and Mike, for the most part, kind of know what they need, but then there's this period of time where both of them have been like, dude, I don't, the car is doing this at this point in the track, and I need it to do this. What I, like, what do we need to do? And we start brainstorming. I don't want to say it's like them asking me directly, like, what do I need to do? Like, you're the expert. It's, it's, always, it's always a conversation. I can't do what I do without them. They can't do what they do without me necessarily to a certain extent. Right. Yeah. So um, we have a conversation. And it's like, hey, it's doing this. Okay, well, if I change this, it's going to do this. Uh, I don't know if I want that. What about this? That will work. And sometimes they have the idea and I don't. Sometimes I say something and I inspire them to make a change. It's just, it's, and that's the thing about this. It's so great is it's, I don't have to have the answer. Sometimes I just have to say the right thing that sparks the thing in the other person to come up with the right idea. Gotcha. And at the end of the day, that's all we're there to do is to come up with the right solution. Whether it's your idea, my idea, it doesn't matter. It's us working collectively together to come up with the right setup to make it as competitive as possible for that driver. Yeah, it makes a lot more sense. Because I'm, I'm, a, I'm a struggling over here with the new car that I'm trying to figure out how to drive. So I was trying to... Yeah, no, it's not, to, there's no right answer. It's, yeah, no, I get and that. And especially that. when you're developing a new car, it's tough because you want to look at other chassis and go, oh, man, this guy's doing this and this guy's doing that. That's blah, where I'm going off like, of. But I'm also going off of what, we spoke, what you had mentioned earlier, is just like the, the kind of like baseline to start with, and that's kind of what it started with. Sure, but then you have to test. Yes, that's where I'm at right now. Yep. That's the thing. That's what creates. That's what's going to create your setup for your chassis is testing. Correct. Oh, let's go one extreme. Let's go one more. Okay. We, you know, played with anti squat with the Genesis. Like I had a theory, and we had applied it to the S14 even in 2015. Odie did it even before I was on his team, and uh, I had already had my theory as well. And we tried a few different hole settings on the Genesis and timed it and speeds and speed guns and telemetry everything all combined together and it was like let's try this hole let's try that hole let's try this one all different settings and you know that chassis worked at that way but then like jonathan's car this year absolutely flabbergasted me with the exact opposite of everything that i've ever done with the genesis the 240 the beamer everything else is just like it reacted opposite i'm like oh what the hell is this this doesn't even make sense. Like they changed anti-squat in the opposite direction of what I normally do, and the car got better. That doesn't make sense. But then we started dissecting it, and me and Mitch started talking, and it was like, oh, 
but the way that the FRS suspension is designed and the way that it cycles, I, okay, this moves this way, that moves that way. That's why this works with this and this doesn't work with the other chassis. Like it started to make sense. And um, yeah, it's crazy. That that threw me through a loop for sure this year was just the, how the FRS works. And the way that they do suspension setup is, yeah. It's, it's, it's a lot different, isn't it? Yeah, the way they do, and you and I, 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 I gave you a little, little hard time. The alignment, the way they do their alignments, blew my mind. I kind of heard about it, it, but if you, if you want to say it, no, it's, it's, it's too simple. It makes me almost rethink. Before, like before you said, I will say that's what I tried to do, and then Andrew came over and helped me. He was like, "No, do it this way." Yeah, I showed Andrew. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. He came over. This is before you guys had this conversation. Was your, was your mind blown? I was like, that's what I was trying to do. He's like, yeah, I know. He's like, but I didn't know it worked like the way they said it. But I, but here's the thing. I was concerned because the track width is different on the front of my car than it is on the rear. doesn't matter. It's still a reference point. That's what you I was like... thinking, too. So Go ahead. you take a string. Fit. They use construction string. Go Home Depot. You can buy a whole hundred foot spool of it. That's for what I got. Four yeah, that's what they use. Uh, I have some fancy, like literally, it's fly fishing like leader line yeah. I bought like five years ago. Uh, I got my shit uh, at Walmart. It was like bright green. That perfect. Ours was purple, so yeah. or pink. I needed right. to see something. Yeah, no, it's mine's like bright orange. Um, it's not like fishing string, fishing string. It's leader line for. Um, I don't fly fish, so don't think I'm an expert or anything, but I think they do some sort of like leader, like there's a regular line at the end that's clear or something. That's mm -hmm. like maybe two or three, four feet or something. And then the rest of it is like some bright color that's like a cloth fiber, very finely, whatever. Anyways, it's really nice. I like it. If you want really nice string for alignments, get leader line for uh, fly fishing. Uh, it's awesome. And it's, I don't remember how much it was, but I was broke when I bought it. So it can't be that expensive. Yeah, um, <laughs> so there's um, so just person front, person rear, and you just take the string and you touch it to the tire, whatever touches first. Uh, That's what I thought. Tires. That was my thought about it. The same thing. Yeah. So and in the rear, your toe in, so it's going to touch the back tire and in the front, the front person, you know, bringing the string until it touches something is if it's closer to square, it's going to touch the front tire because you're typically toe out. But if it's a wider track width, it's going to touch the package of the tire. Doesn't matter. All you're trying to do is use that as a reference point to see how big the gap is. So let's use the rear as an example. Let's say you touch the string in the front, touch the string in the back. The first thing it touches in the mm -hmm. back is going to be the back edge of the tire. And you're just looking at the gap at the front edge of the tire. So it's, it's basically it's, like a simplified solution. I, I, I see it in my head as you're explaining it. And I hope it's people, the same thing as yeah. smart strings, like putting it all on the car and taking 45 minutes to square it with the car. Or I can do it in 30 seconds. I, I'll yeah. It's, if you make a jig for it and just have that string. So where it grabs the rear of the inside. Of the you're wheel. overthinking it. No, no, I don't mean you're to it. It's like a U joint. It's like a U, uh, like a horseshoe. You don't need. You're overthinking it. Really? How? Oh, wait. How are you guys grabbing the tire? It's two people: one person front, one person rear with string. Oh, I. You know what? Forgive me. I'm so used to doing everything alone. I'm trying to figure out how to do what you're doing without having somebody else help me. 
So I thought about that and I was like, you know what? I need to figure out what they're doing. How to, how can I do that alone? And I figured it out. I got to saying the U bracket you get and a, just tying a, a string no. to it. It's so much simpler than that. Get a fish hook. And just put it on the inside of the fucking rim or the tire. Yeah, just no. Anyway. Just just hook it onto the back tire. Into the rubber. That's and funny. then pull the string tight and then just touch the front edge, you know, whatever touches front uh, first on the front uh, of the tire. That's it. And then you do the same thing for the rear, right? To get it to wherever you want it. Correct. I see what you're saying. It makes sense. So all you're doing is measuring from side to side. So you're just, okay, I've got 10 mil on this side and I got 15 mil gap on the front on this side. You're just eyeballing it. I'm, there's no measurement. It's just seeing, is it square? My passenger side is 10 mil in and my driver's side is 5 mil in. Well, I'm not square. I'm My rear end has a thrust angle to it. So then you would tape, you know, use your, your toe plates, pull your toe plates and go, oh, I'm only a quarter inch toe in. I want a half. Okay, well, I know that the side with the five mil in needs five mil more. So let's give it five mil more and square it and then pull tapes again and see see where we're at. Oh, hey, look, we're we're half inch toe in. Cool. All right, we're where we need to be. Yeah, the most I got yeah, is like my kid to help me to hold something here. So sure, you don't need it. I've done it by myself. Yep. Uh, the the new the new method, but my old the old method. I mean, I could spend three hours doing an alignment. As far as I got fishing, fishing yeah, I'm I'm forty five minutes to an hour by myself. That's not terrible, and that's you climbing underneath and getting out of the car. I I cheat. I have a ten inch stands, so I can leave the cars like on the ground and then slide underneath it. Don't so. worry, I also cheat. I have cinder block. I saw. Yeah, it's not the most safe method, but it, it's, it's it's definitely not. No, no, it's not. I just make sure that the center support of the center block is underneath the tire, dead center. And I hope. Sure. I'm done. Yeah. I thought about I filling them with concrete, actually. Why would you fill them with concrete? You have a nest in the middle of it to like keep the tire from rolling out of it. Oh, just in case it breaks. I don't think it's going to break. I don't think so either. But I meant in the center. Yeah, so then the tire it has a low point for the tire to rest in so it doesn't roll forward or backward. That's my concern. I'm not worried about braking. I'm worried about it rolling off the cinder blocks. I know. I actually thought about putting some type, like welding something onto like those, those janky slip plates I made. Just, uh, to, sure. just to make sure it doesn't roll forward or backward. Just be safe out there. That's all I'm going to say. I'm not going to tell you what to do. I'm trying. I'm trying. I'm, I'm, I'm working within my means here. There you go. Uh, what else you got for me? I do. Uh, um, maybe kind of explaining a little bit of side bite, forward bite, and anti squat exactly to simplify those things. Um, I'm still, personally, I know what side bite is. I know what forward bite is. I get that. Uh, or somebody might be listening to this that doesn't understand it, so I'd like to for you to explain it because I don't know enough about it to explain it. I know how it feels in the car. Um, sure. And then anti-squat is something I have not even 
tried to indulge in a little bit? Um, so four bites are simple. You get on the throttle, car moves forward, side bite. While you're sideways. Well, the side bite can be on and off throttle. It can react different on and off throttle with side bite. Um, You can have side bite to where you're on throttle and there's not a, there's so much side bite that the car doesn't want to like change its arc path. It doesn't want to go wider in any means. It just wants to shoot forward. So like E46 chassis are typically plagued with this. So when you start getting into a grippier tire, they don't want to float. They don't want, you'd be like, throw the car into a corner and you'd be like, I'm going to make it to that outside zone. You get on throttle and it goes, nope, I'm going inside. And it just takes off. And you're like, okay, well, I missed that outside zone. Um, that's like too much side bite on throttle. Then you have side bite off throttle, which is where like literally you just let off the throttle and the car just wants to snap straight or you let off the throttle and the car just holds the exact same angle, no change in rate of angle and just continues to float in that direction once you let off throttle. So there's both extremes and you can get both. You can you can achieve both with, in my opinion, any chassis depending on how hard you want to work on the geometry, uh, sway bar, springs, shocks, etc., all those different settings. I think it's achievable in any chassis. Hmm. In the uh, anti-squat? Anti-squat is tough because I thought I had a theory. And then after seeing, again, very different style of suspension, it's a little bit more of a trailing arm style suspension, but different. I don't know how to explain it. I have a trailing arm style. You've seen it. I don't know if you remember it. I did. I do. Um, I have a very photographic memory. Um, The problem, so typically for drifting, um, reducing anti-squat gets the car more traction. Uh, It Anti-squat in general typically takes up the way I try and explain it to to people of how anti-squat works is let's say you took a book, right? Mm-hmm. So that square book and you held it in your hands and you're holding the two corners of the book, right? Okay. And you have a friend of yours and you tell them, hey, push on the other end of the book right in the middle at the very edge, right? to basically make a triangle, correct? And you're holding the book flat, and you say, push down, okay? And you push down. They're going to be able to push down fairly easy, right? Because it's straight up and down. Mm-hmm. Now, take the book and tilt it at like a 30-degree angle and tell them to push straight down, not square with the book, straight down. So at the angle, but straight down uh, vertically. It doesn't want to travel up and down. The book is now traveling up and down, but at an angle forward to backward. Correct. Following me? Yes. But that's going to be more difficult because it's resisting the change because it doesn't want to go up and down. It wants to go up and down and side to side. That is what's resist. It's resisting pushing the wheel down. So like S13s have a crazy amount of anti-squat. S14s have less. S15s have less. And then what I do is take even more out for FD cars, and they make crazy amounts of forward bite. This only affects forward bite. This affects no other part of the car. Hmm. 
did it with the Genesis and it worked. Saw it with the uh, FRS. I'm trying to imagine not. what you're saying, but I think I have to actually physically see it when it actually is. I, I get the book here, it, but it's sure. not working for me. It's tough, it's tough to explain. Yeah, no, no, uh, no. I can imagine. I, when I show people in person and they do it, and they just you watch their eyes get wide, I'm like, yeah, it's, you know, unfortunately, it took me years to figure it out. And, and, like, and, reading and seeing it in person, it is out. it something that's like super simplistic? Like once you actually see it happen, it's like, oh, wow. It's 100%. That. Okay, that's what I got. 100%. Like, I got it. See? Stuff like that. People yep. are willing to pay for it. No, but there's like another one that I think is interesting mm-hmm. is, uh, and without getting too technical, like uh, instant center location mm-hmm. for rear geometry, uh, which you may not have to understand and I don't want to plot it out, but basically the, the parallel is, is there's an if anybody that is watching or listening or whatever, just Google instant center on Google and you'll see a, or some, you know, suspension geometry, rear suspension geometry, you'll see where the instant center is. The relationship that that has to the car is the same as you standing in your shop, leaning up against the broom. If your instant center is too high, and you lean on that edge, the top, you know, of the broom, what are you going to do? You're going to fall over, right? And if the broom handle is too low and you lean on it, you're just going to scoot the broom across the ground. It's not going to grab. But there's that sweet spot that I think 90% of us all have found where we lean up against the broom in the shop and it doesn't slide. It just sticks there, right? And you can lean up against it with your full body weight. Hmm. Following me? No, I'm having to Google no. this thing. Well, it's not Googling. I'm at it just you. You have a broom in your house, right? Yeah, yeah. If you stand it up near the head height and you lean on it, you're gonna fall over, right? right? Yeah. If you put it at knee height and you push on the top. the top of the broom, it's gonna slide the bristles across the ground. Yes. If you find that sweet spot that all of us have done where we've leaned against the broom and it doesn't move and you just lean against it, that's the maximum grip your car can make. Oh, I gotta look that up. Because I just Googled uh, the instant instant center. Sure. That's my that's my opinion. I don't know if anyone else cares. I honestly, uh, what am I? I've tried it. Tried it. It works. <laughs> I am five years deep, and I've never heard the term instant center. Oh, uh, you need to buy. So there's a really good book. Really good book. Not cheap. Not an easy read at all. Not even a little bit. Um, it's uh. What is it called? I don't even know what it's called. Race Car Vehicle Dynamics? Let me look it up. It's a gray book. Um, what is it? Race. I'm spelling stuff wrong. Race. Sorry, car. Google's got me. Vehicle Dynamics. Oh, yep. uh, William F. Milliken. Found it. Holy shit. You're not kidding. No. By far the most worth it book I've ever bought. Probably, I don't want to say in my life, but. Wait, wait, you said um, it was by William? William, uh, what is it? 
I'm looking at a Douglas uh, and Milliken. Yeah. Yep. And it's both of those guys. Okay. Or so, Douglas L. Milliken. Yeah. It's the same as Frank. That's a uh, $200 book. That's not $200. I'm looking at $75 Where plus the $4. Fuck am I looking at? Probably looking at a brand new hunter. I paid like a little over 100 bucks, but I also bought it like eight years ago. Uh-huh. So. Oh, that's the book I'm I look, re- look. That's the book I referenced the most. Yeah, um, it's That's not terrible. I'm not smart. That book's hard to read. I have to reread paragraphs several times to understand it because I'm not an engineer, and so I don't understand engineering terms. I understand like, yeah, it leans to the left or leans to the right, and they're like the lateral this and the vertical this, and like it's hard for me to visualize it immediately, like it's English, and so I have to reread some of it to like. Oh, okay. That's this, and I have to turn it into layman's terms in my brain, and then process the information. Um, there's definitely some sections that are probably above my pay grade, but uh, basically, what I pulled out of this book is if you had a chassis that works perfect, right, or the best chassis that you could get out of whatever you've got, mm-hmm. you can with this book plot it on paper every aspect of the vehicle get a new chassis with maybe completely different suspension this that whatever apply everything that you learned from the first chassis on paper and be able to develop the car to be borderline the exact same car so essentially you would change chassis or let's say you did enough research in a 240 and you were building I don't know some bullshit Cadillac you'd be able to Sure. reference and kind of come up with the same scenario. Yes. Okay, that makes sense. That's kind of what I did with the with Odie's 240, and then applied some of the knowledge that I had learned from the development of June's car plus Odie equals what Mike S's trailing arms turned into. That makes sense. I get that from not an engineering Be- aspect. I get it from a guy who yep. works on fire alarms for a living. Sure. So I, the things that I did to S's car were not the same as what I did on Odie or June's car at all. And, but and vice versa, they, it's, uh, it's not the same that I work on one panel, that's a fire alarm panel, to another, but they'll both do the same thing at the end of the day. Correct. Can make them do so, the same thing. Okay, that makes sense. That's, you have to understand the dynamics. Yes the vehicle Correct. understand how things are cycling moving whatever how it's reacting with the chassis because it's a it's a moving thing and you have to understand how to get a car with different suspension to move in the same way uh and so you have to change some geometry around and move some things around and i don't know it's fun i really enjoy it uh, i really enjoy that challenge yeah uh i i, I wish i could say the same but i do not enjoy that challenge that challenge is a pain I, in my ass um, I enjoy solving problems again. I think I, I said that at the beginning. Yeah, That's my favorite uh, thing. You know, I like uh, electrical issues. Sure. 
everyone has their own thing. Yeah. It doesn't have to be the same for everybody. Yeah, and that's why this world ticks the way it does is everybody enjoys something different. Everyone liked race cars. I'm going to tell you right now, this place would be real boring real quick because everyone would be way too good at what they do and there'd be nothing else to do but that. Yeah. And then you, uh, you do some wiring stuff too, don't you? And you have a fairly simplistic understanding of wiring. Like you were able to simplify it where some people cannot. Uh, I don't know. I've wired things very successfully that yep. are still running today. That's and... very much it. There's not much yeah. to you don't understand how a relay works? Like, yeah. It, it turns on, it turns off. <laughs> I, so, I mean, I have a college, very basic college background in automotive, as a matter of fact. Uh, I went to college in 2008 through 2010. Wait, how old are you? 32. Fuck, we're the same age. Why did I start so late? Somebody messed up. Oh. I went right after college, or right after high school. So, long story short, and I'm not going to get into this whole segue, but I used to tour in bands for a living, and I used to play guitar for a living uh, before I like went into cars. Um, I basically graduated college, or high college. I graduated high school, and the day after I graduated high school, I took off and toured with a band the next day. Um, toured for seven months, and basically it was either go to college for automotive or continue touring. And I was like, you know what? Let me go to college and get my education. And if I still want to do the music stuff when I'm done, like I can always go back to that. I don't want to wait and get my college education later and hope that this music thing works out. Cause I mean, that's, let's be honest. It's not easy to, to get into. Nope. Um, Makes sense. Uh, you have a better chance of being a race car driver. Or building cars. Well, at the time, my ambition was to just be a you know mechanic at a dealership. So um, I went to college for two years, got an associate's degree. Uh, worked. This is at Cerritos College. Uh, got my certificate in the import technician training program. I did two semesters of auto body. I taught auto body for two semesters um, to college or high school kids. Um, what else did I do? I don't know. Yeah, that was uh, so. Anyways, uh, basic understanding of just vehicles in general. Um, I didn't just like figure it out or like screw around with stuff. Like I, I went to school for that, so it was like, oh, okay. Here's an electrical system. Here's how you, you know, here's a relay. Here's a fuse. Here's how they work. Here's how you run power. Here's how power works in a car. Here's a transmission. We would take one apart. We'd put it back together. Uh, we would have to physically shift it through all the gears after we put it back together to get like signed off for a project engines again they hailed after uh, 4b11 which is brand new at the time that was in the evos and the hyundai gen coupes and some kias and whatever and we got to take those apart and spec them out and put them back together and um we did diffs from all different kinds of cars and uh, jeeps and uh some older like ford 8.8s and a couple other different diffs and you know everyone got something different we take them apart spec them out put them back together um yeah, it was a pretty involved program. It was really cool. Um, but that's where I got like my foundation for just like working on cars. It wasn't just like experience of just doing it myself out of my garage. Like I got I got an education. No, I didn't you know. I I played with some cars with my dad. 
He doesn't have a very big education on it, if any. And that was about it. Sure. That's good. But you don't need, you don't need, you know, you don't need what I have to be successful. No, I mean, what I have is not even that spectacular. It's a, in my opinion, it's a, no, I whatever, see what it's you're a basic two-year degree in automotive. It's not that crazy. Yeah, what I'm doing now, I can probably, and I don't something want to write to home about. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. But just, what you're doing now is completely different. And maybe you can write home about that. It's a little bit more in depth than what For I was sure. doing in class. Yes, um, but like, and then after that, I went to the fab school. Uh, in 2011 and 2012. Um, and I mean, I had been fabbing before that. I worked at uh, Road Race Engineering and Road Race Motorsports uh, in a collective three years between the two of them. They had guys like Laud and Art teach me how to fabricate and Ruben and Chris you know, helping me out with the mechanical side as well. And, you know, teaching me how to work on cars like that aren't factory. Like, Hey, here's, you know, this doesn't fit. And I'll remember like one big aha moment that I had working at that company was, uh, it was a Gallant VR4, which if you guys don't know what it is, you guys need to go Google it. Cause those things are freaking cool. It's a, like a grandma it car. It's like a four-door sedan. My, it looks my like mom nothing special. Oh, hell yeah. Those yeah. things are awesome, man. The and 99. it's got a freaking DSM motor in it. Yep. But non-turbo. And, uh, the, the ones I worked on. Um, but anyways, it's... So I remember it was it had some overheating issues when he would start stamping on it and he wanted some bigger fans on it. And I remember trying to put this in these again. This is me coming out of college and like, you know, learning how to work on factory cars. And I had worked at dealerships before that. And now all of a sudden my boss is telling me, here, put these two 12 inch fans on this uh, radiator. And I'm trying to figure it out. And they're like way too big. And like this doesn't fit in the space. I'm like, this can't be done. I can't put these fans on. We need to go down to 10 inches. You need to tell the customer he needs to go to 10 inch fans and these are going to fit. And he looked at me square in the eye. He goes, the customer wants 12 inch fans on this car. Make it fit. And I'm like, oh. And like my brain just snapped. And it was like, it went completely away from the like, get it to fit without modifying or moving anything. And it went to Oh, cut stuff, move stuff. You know, it overhangs a little bit. It does this or that. It doesn't matter. You have to make this fit. This, this is what you have to do. Didn't you have and, something similar happen with, uh, well, maybe not necessarily similar, um, about Gene's car where he told you that your rear end setup wasn't going to work because you just put, your rear radiator setup wasn't going to work just because you put bigger fans on it, and it did. <laughs> yeah um i had a lot of people like talking shit about my setup on that car uh that year uh I, again i don't want to say too many negative things but the uh, but no, we're gonna we're gonna focus on the positive yeah. we're gonna talk about no, no, how no. it actually did work doesn't matter who said sure. it didn't work we are probably using it to this day um so let's talk it's about- it's it's 
everyone said that, oh, it doesn't have ducting, it doesn't have this, because that car was completely sealed off in the back. Like, it had no ducting, no nothing. I put the biggest, most giant off-road CBR radiator in the back, huge fans. I, d- I dotted every... That season was... And so, to backtrack just slightly... I worked for my dad for six years. Okay. What, um, just real quick, what did your dad do? My dad, well, he's retired now, um, but he owned a company called Dr. Smoothie. Uh, it was a beverage manufacturing company. I mean, Sounds among like other one. things, but we would uh, get, you know, whatever, a couple hundred 55-gallon drums of frozen fruit puree and all the, you know, dry ingredients and mix everything in these huge either a 10,000 we had a 10,000 or an 8,000 gallon mixing tank pasteurizers cappers fillers labelers cooling tunnels like the palletizers were it just box is everything it's super fun to work there so many different mechanical machines doing crazy stuff and um yeah anyways um he uh you have to look outside the box when you're an automotive dude like me going into a manufacturing plant. I'm like, I don't know what a lot of this stuff works. So I had to heavily rely on the experts in that, like the people that manufactured the solenoid that actuates this arm that I'm trying to work on on this machine. Well, I don't know what the limits are of that actuator. So I have to, you know, hey, I installed your actuator in this way and it's doing this and it's failing. What do I need to do to fix it? Pictures and you're back and forth with the engineers from that company and then you figure out a solution and then, hey, it works perfect and then you move on, right? So when 2014 came around with June's car, I basically solely consulted the manufacturers for everything because I wanted to dot every I, cross every T and do everything the way the manufacturer said. So that way, if there was any problem, there was no question. Well, well did you do that? Because you've heard that, I'm sure. Well, did you do this? Would you do install it like this? Did you make sure that there was this thing installed this way? And you're like, yes, yes, yes. Oh, no, I didn't check that. And then all of a sudden you're checking it and then your problem's solved, right? That was my approach to June's car. And so with the cooling system, I called three different radiator or cooling system manufacturers and dotted every I and crossed every T. We put a system in that car, sealed off in the back, it was able to draw air from underneath the car and push it out the back. And that car cooled completely fine. And the only other person I know that has done that to date is uh, the gentleman I work for now, which is uh, Stefan. Um, he's pulling air from underneath the car and shoving it out the back. But I've been doing that since or did that. I don't want to say doing that consistently, but did that since 2000. In 2014. Hmm. Uh, and it works great. Yeah, I'm not doing that. I just have an opening up front and some big fans and I have it not ducted. Sure. But I make sure that the hot air is separated from the cold air coming in. Sure. Maybe. Yeah, no, it's you have to make sure that the hot air the biggest thing is make sure that the hot air Escapes. has somewhere to go. Yeah. Has to have somewhere to go. And it has to be able to draw air from somewhere, whether it be underneath the car, on top of the car, uh, wherever. It doesn't matter. Yeah. It just needs to be able to grab air. Last year, I had it where the radiator... Actually, the radiator was in the same spot. Um, the only difference I've done this year 
is actually move instead of my fuel cell being underneath the radiator and on the bottom um, with an opening rather. So basically when it would, it had, had very low CFM fans. I think it was like 1300 in total. Oof. They were, they were very, they were very, very, very basic LS swap fans that I got yeah. from Summit sure. Sure. and the radiator and uh, the dual pass radiator. So I was like, I'm set for life. Uh, oh. Lo and behold, I was not. Anyways, I moved the uh, fuel cell forward in front of the radiator and then I blocked everything off front to separate the front and back. Sure. And then I put uh, 4,000 CFM fans. Obviously not, not each, but total. Yeah, I was about to say, if you got 4,000 CFM fans, you gotta, you gotta give me the uh, scoop no, on No, 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 <laughs> they're just some small 2,000 CFM fans. Yeah, no, spalls are industry standard. There's no reason to do anything else, in, in my opinion. In the, in the, um, this, to throw this out there again, I've said it before, if you order a derail um, no, the fan package is false. Yeah, the fan. What is it? I can't remember the word I was looking for. Durali. Yeah. It, oh, sorry. Durali. Durali. <laughs> uh, they're uh, they're small fans. Yeah. If you order their, what is it? The fan loop, not the fan loop. Yeah. All their, but all of their fans are all spalls. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But they're fan shroud. That's the word. Uh, yeah, the fan shroud is by them, but there's the fans are still. Uh, I just, I just know CNR makes the best radiators in the business, and they put spalls on it, and I don't have cooling issues. Yeah, I haven't yeah, had I, a single one this year. Um, long story short, last where was I at? Uh, when I went to Winter Jam for what last week or a few sure. weeks ago. My dumbass has my lines running underneath my car, which is going to be strange. Uh, you can't run underneath the car. Uh, doing that? To- not this one. It's fucking long. Well, 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 maybe you can, but it needs to be mounted correctly, not just fucking zip tie. There yeah, you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not when you're flying <laughs> off a track, especially a, sure. a horse thief. Um, yeah, exactly. So what happened was is I, I drove, I went from horse thief to the restroom at Balcony. Okay. Like, it was fine when I started my car at where Stephen drove the balcony, but when I got to the balcony, I was like, oh, sweet, my fucking car's leaking. I didn't even bother to look under the car to see where it was leaking from. I just noticed I saw water underneath. I went, sure. I did my business, uh, went, drove back to, uh, to Horse Thief, parked, and then I noticed that there's a big old slit under my, uh, under my car, and then my lines are actually still braided. So it it was dragging on the floor long enough. I would assume it was dragging on the floor during the track, and then my dumbass kept driving it. Yeah. Yep. And this is why I emphasize emphasize the importance of inspecting your car. Nut and bolting your car is so huge. I cannot. It's you know I what? I get lazy, break. man. I'm not gonna lie. No. I'm you not, can't do it. I know. I'm learning that, that this is called testing and tuning, and that's what I'm learning. So be it's not even testing and tuning. It's just having a race car. Like, you just it. can't. It's, uh, don't be a lazy piece of shit. If you have a missile car, by all means, do your thing. Yeah. Go beat the crap out of it till it runs to the ground, and you can laugh 
and I'll laugh with you. And it's funny because that's what that intention of that vehicle is for. If you have a competition vehicle that you're competing in, even if you're testing or having fun in it, the level of work that you have to do on that car is more than just putting gas and tires on it. The biggest thing is, is what you do when you're not at the track. And I have stressed this so much. This, you have to prep the car between rounds. If you're going to a multi-day event, you better nut and bolt that car, put it up on stands and run through that whole car before you go out and drive the next day. Yeah, learning that. Uh It's, it's not, these cars are not, even at the pro-am grassroots level, like you've, the amount of vibration, things that we're doing with these things, you just can't. I is an example, random example, Jonathan's car all season, every day, every, every day that car ran, I would torque the uh, main axle bolts, 180 foot pounds of torque, click every day, tight, 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 Irwindale out of nowhere. One, one side was loose. Yeah. Where did that come from? Don't know. Vibration. I understood. I mean, I understand the reasons why, but just use why then? Why now? I check it every time. It's torque to spec. Why is it loose that time? I checked it all season, every day. So you have, and sometimes more than once a day. If we have a break, we check it again. Because it's easier to go. Well, when once you get comfortable with the car and you know what every bolt is it, it's more of a 30 minute nut and bolt check as opposed to when you're just getting Correct. started you gotta get in under there you know yeah it's not like two hours so my yeah. my favorite thing i uh you know aaron velasquez right uh yes aaron drift yes so he he um something i told him when I first started hanging out with him, I was like, and I'll ask you the same question. Why do you go to the track? Mm, there's so many reasons why. I go well, because I what's the be main reason? To have fun. Sure. To become so a better driver. To learn new things. Sure. So my question to you is, is the, why the fuck are you working on your car at the track and not doing that when you're at home in your garage. And and to answer that, uh, that 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 waterline mistake I made, yeah. I knew it was coming. <laughs> I knew it was coming. See? But, but to be honest, that's the only thing I had to work on the car the entire right, but- day. So I'm I am happy with progress. I know I need to. Sure. So now I was I was trying to skate by. People- I was trying to skate by. Sure. Some people don't, they don't take the time and you see them and they're not bolting their car or, oh, this is broken or, oh, that's broken. Oh, my, my axle bolts are falling off or my turbo couplers, they blew a coupler off and I can't find the coupler. And I got to find a coupler because I didn't check my hose clamps to make sure they were tight before the weekend. And because they just loaded the car. Hey, the, trailer the same control. bolts that are driven on with the impact driver I have are taken off at the track. It's the same gun. Not a different. I don't use. I, that's just what I, I use because I'm I'm lazy. Um, that's what I use. I just use the gun. I put it on the low setting for certain bolts. I put it on the high setting for others, and that's it. 
I don't use an impact for any final torque. I use that I to run both down till they're snug. That's a piece of shit that I do. I always use, I always torque by hand because here's the problem. And this is what I learned from racing and off-road is you can have a bolt that's tight, right? Mm-hmm. Snug and tight. You can impact crap on, turn it all the way up, impact it until it's like snug, snug, right? Yeah. But now you take a regular wrench. What happens if that bolt can still spin? What happens if you just ran out of thread on the bolt and it's tight at the end of the threads, but the bolt's not physically tight and the bolt's too long? You're going to have a failure point and something's going to fail. So that was always the rule in the off-road team. Take stuff apart with an impact or an electric tool or an air tool, put it together with an air tool, but you always final check torque with a wrench of some sort. Making me feel like a real piece of shit right now. Just check it and then see if you can rotate the pole on one side versus, you know what I mean? Yeah, no, I I know what you're saying, but also the impact will just spin it. It'll stop impacting. That's my point. But then what if it stops impacting, but then you use the wrench on the one side and it's still loose? Mm, No, no, no. What I'm saying is like, I know... Yeah, I don't know. You're making me fucking question myself. Um, Perfect. Like it does the ugga duggas, and then I stop. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So. Uh, yeah. But you're Let's, saying just to follow yeah, that up well, with a, uh, hey, is that no, still no, no. good? Take, take, take the bolt, take the bolt off of a car, mm-hmm. right? Put the nut on it and impact it. That impact's gonna stop. There's nothing stopping it except for the end of the threads. Hmm. Your impact, there's nothing even holding it together. There's the inch and a quarter of non-threaded section, but the nut bottomed out on it, and you've impacted it, and it stopped. Is that tight? It's not even holding anything together. But your impact, ugga-duggas, told you it's tight, but it's not even holding anything together. It's in space holding nothing together, but it's tight. So what's tight? I see what you're saying there. Sorry, I was looking at it a different way. Um, yeah, no, you're I, I had to think about it. I had to think about way. it. So you're saying is if I ugga dugga it and I'm holding it with, let's just say it has a nut on one end and I'm holding that wrench, right? And I'm sure. jamming that fucking gun to go. And you're but I'm not spinning like, it. I'm not spinning yep. it to see if it's spinning freely. Correct. Now when you're done with the ugga duggas, now take your wrench and try and rotate the bolt. I've done it personally and oh, it's not tight. Because in off-road, what we do is we, it's called shanking bolts. Mm-hmm. So let's, bear with me here. This is a bit of a visual. You have a tab, right? Okay. Sheet metal tab. Bolt goes through that. You have a rod end, uh, right? Or a suspension link. It goes through that. And then you have another tab, right? And that's what they call double shear, right? You have two tabs surrounding your rod end. Most factory bolts that go through that are just long enough to pass it, put a nut on it, and have like a couple of threads sticking out, right? Yes. The problem is, is that in one side of the tab, you have the smooth round shank of the bolt. It goes through most of the rod end, and then the end of it is the threaded section through the second tab, and then the bolt or the nut clamps down on it, right? Mm Mm-hmm. The problem is, is in off-road, this is not, and I don't apply this 
to any other motorsport necessarily in off-road where you're going a thousand miles across the desert where you're banging the crap out of your suspension. That one tab that's, let's say, an eighth inch wide is only being cap. The load surface is very small because it's only just the few little top points of the threads holding it in its position. You following me so far? A little bit. And uh, I want the only thing I'm going to ask you is... Sure. Uh, let's just say, the argument, for argument's sake, you're talking about the bolt continuing not being... Yes, the bolt is tight. That is what I'm saying. Yes. But, is it, but now, is the arm tight to that bolt, right? Is that what we're talking about here? And what we're on the same page? Little bit different. Uh, I, I, okay, so it's hard with a, it's hard without a visual. Yes, it, I know, I know. <laughs> so, so let's let me, just say there's let a me, C clamp. There's like uh, let's call it not, let me, not necessarily. Let me explain it this way. Let me explain it this way. This will be easier. So you know, there's a non-threaded section of a bolt, correct? Correct. Then you know that there's a threaded section of the bolt, correct? correct? So there's let's say you're putting your bolt through a control arm mount, right? Okay, that's what I'm looking like on at. the subframe side. Correct. And so if the bolt is in there, one tab has a non-threaded section of the bolt because it's nearest to the head of the bolt, right? Mm -hmm. And the other side has the threaded section. Yep. To properly, what they call shank a bolt, you have to have the non-threaded section go all the way through both tabs so that it's supporting the entire, the, the load is being supported on both tabs by the full shank of the bolt. It might be too long. Like you'll stick the bolt through and you go, oh man, that's too long of a bolt because the non-threaded section is sticking out the other side. I can't tighten that. You following me? Mm -hmm. You stack a bunch of washers on that side and then you can tighten it down. That is the strongest joint you can get. By stacking the washers on the unthreaded part of the bolt. To, exactly to make it to where you can actually tighten the nut okay, down all the way. Wait, so do you want to stack the washers on the unthreaded the part of the bolt or the threaded part of the bolt? Unthreaded. If you stack it on the, by the head, stack uh, by the bolt side, the unthreaded, uh, the threaded side. If you stack it on the unthreaded side, you're doing nothing. You might as well just put a regular like bolt on it. Okay, that's what I see what you're saying. Yeah, I can see it in my head. Uh, this but sense. that's nothing to do with drifting. That's just like optimizing up the the maximum potential for that joint strength and longevity over time. But so the problem is, is that if you don't, and, the, and what I'm getting back to with what we were saying earlier is, is that sometimes we'll not put enough washers. Let's say we pulled a, a bolt off because we shanked the bolt, right? Put one in so that the shank is long enough, which means it sticks out on the other side, unthreaded partially, stack a few washers on it. Let's say four were on it and I lost one and didn't realize it. And I put three on and I tighten it down with my impact. The threads bottom out, but it's still loose. Now you go out into the middle of the desert and you make it 100 miles and your lower control arm bolt snaps off, which I've had happen to us before mm. because of a bolt not being properly shanked. Now. So the level of, the level of detail in off-road is absolutely nuts and insane as far as like longevity of like component part. life. And mostly everything made for off-road is custom made. There is no stock knuckle. Sure. Uh, 
it's within within a certain extent, but I understand what you're saying. So just to go to that, but, um, sure. That's what I'm saying. Like I have every single stock bolt on my car plus ten uh, spares. Yep. Perfect. That's what I'm asking. Um, so, anyways, that was a long conversation about shaking bolts, yes, making sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My long story short is, is just nut and bolt your cars, gentlemen. That's all I gotta say. Nut and bolt your yeah. cars. Make sure they're tight. You're at the track because you want to drive. And going That's back it. to me, the only thing I had to do was fix my uh, my underlying line. We call it the the line that runs under the car. Uh, by sure. the way, if anybody is curious, a three quarter inch piece of conduit that you find at Home Depot, you know, for electricians or any electrician that's doing this. Or, I'm already concerned. Yep. That is a repair for a dash sixteen fucking line. <sighs> I know. It's it's not what you want, but it's what worked that day, and I had no issues with it after that. <laughs> Zero fucking issues. I put a hose clamp on each end and it was a tight fit. I had to use WD forty and kinda of like jammed it in there and I barely got like three quarters of an inch on each side. But I uh I put a hose clamp and I had no other issues that day. Then again, Coming around, it's December in California, so it was like 75 degrees max. I'm with you. So, I've done stuff too. Is it no, I'm just saying, if, if, if somebody runs into that issue, is, and you have, like, the reason that pipe was in my toolbox was because it was it's my leverage pipe. Yep, no, I'm, I'm, That's, I'm with you. And I was like, oh, I've, hang on, I have this, let me cut this. We've ripped brake lines off in the off-road car. Yep. You're like, well, what do you do? So you don't have a spare. Like now, well, there's vice grips in the bag in the car, so we just fold it over and clamp the vice grips on it, and at least got something. You got three other brakes. Got three other brakes. There you We've go. We've had it where, um, what else do we have happen? Uh, the exhaust flange. It's a Volkswagen Motors, right? So the exhaust uh, flanges are on the side. They're individual. Mm-hmm. One of them snapped off, and I mean, the power was next to nothing. What did we do? Literally, bailing wire that we found on the side of the, like, in the middle of nowhere in Mexico, found some bailing wire and used some safety wire pliers we had in our bag in the car and safety wired it or like bailing wired it as close to the manifold as we could to like minimize the exhaust pressure differential. Yep. And you need pressure we made on. You it need back pressure on motor, right? Yep. Exactly. Yeah. And we made it like 150 more miles after that to get to the town where we were able to get a dude to Decent throw a repair. quick arc weld yeah. on it. <laughs> it's uh, pretty bad. Uh, give me one second. Uh, yeah, yep. Sure. We are at well over two hours and I still got some uh some questions to get to you from people here. Did you get any questions on yours? Uh just one, but I tried to have it redirected, but we'll see. Let's go through the questions and if it doesn't get answered, I'll answer it. All right. Let me, let's, uh, let's do the questions and uh, yeah, let's do those. Rick is my Instagram. Okay. So here we are. we have couple. Oh wait, I took a screenshot of them for that reason. Uh, I don't know what who came first. We're gonna start with the top. Uh, we got Adam Bergener. Probably pronounce your name wrong, dude. Uh, FDF 
or YSFAB. Now, doesn't specify which chassis. Uh, and then, FDF and the rest of them are no chassis specific. I don't want to. I have my reasons why, and I don't want to say, uh, to be honest, because they're kind of. Yeah, they could be taken the wrong way. Um, okay. I will say, I will say wise fab. Okay. Yeah. We have another one from uh, Ruru. I don't. I'm too weird to spell his. You know, he fucked up his Instagram name when he made his. So he's on his own. <laughs> if somebody tries to figure it out, they're going to figure it out. It's it's Ruru. It's underscore. Underscore. Um, anyways. Uh, long question. When setting up a proper gear suspension with a high front weight distribution, uh, just drift. Sure. Uh, what are the most important, important changes to make? What are the most important changes to make on a car that has that is front heavy? Mm-hmm. And then <laughs> the first thing I would say is going to be make sure that your springs and your shocks are able to handle that front weight. Um, yeah, and the how, valving how would and you know spring rate. If if well, so first of all, you would have to know the. Well, you'd have to scale the car. If you already know that it's front heavy, then you already know it's front heavy. Um, I would assume that you know what's in it. There's some generalized ways to figure out, like, an approximation, right? Like, hey, my car came, like, an FRS, right? Well, my car came with a small four-cylinder, and I put a Viper motor in the front. Well, okay. There's... (laughs) It's going to be a little front heavy, right? Uh, Scaling the car is obviously the best route. Like, hey, my front weight versus rear weight is X. That's one way. Um, Just, you know, uh, being, you know, uh, working with Odie in the past with fuel suspension and uh, talking with Mike over there, even just today, we're talking about it with a, I'm working on an RX-8 with a iron block v8 in the front right it's like oh those need to be revalved that's not going to work right the stock stuff is not going to work it needs to be revalved well they have a certain recipe for certain cars that are fairly common swaps if it's something that's out of the ordinary maybe not but like as an like like the guys that feel suspension will know Oh, you've got a, you know, an E36 with a stock motor or a V8 or, you know, something lighter or whatever. They can kind of generalize it without having to actually know the weights from you because they know the weight difference already. But otherwise, if it's some strange swap, like, you know, some super lightweight four cylinder or some super heavy V10 or V8, they would maybe like to ask for corner weights to optimize that suspension. But I think that's going to be your best bet for something that's super heavy front that you know is overly heavy. Definitely getting your shock valving is going to be huge. Yeah, but Um, a lot of us who are building don't know the final weight. Sure. Won't be able to say that. So my next question on top of his is do you recommend to like just leave it stock with the stock um, suspension, you know, springs and shocks to leave it Uh stock for the time being and then get a proper weight set up and let let the the coilovers be the last thing you purchase with, like let's say we're going through seal. um, Sure. And you use use them as an example. 
um, use that as like, hey, this is my final closest way I can get to before I get coilovers. Do I tell them like, hey, this is my, this is like, if you have the car waiting, you take a picture of the scale and you're like, hey, this is what I have. This is my car. Right, but this is where I'm going. Which one should you valve it for? Correct. Depends on that's and that's a tougher question, I guess, because it depends on how much you're driving. Like, hey, I'm gonna put you know a V8 in front of my car with an iron block and it's gonna be heavy, but I'm gonna drive it like this for like two years, and then I'm gonna put a turbo on it and add more front weight. Correct. Well, just valve it for the V8 for the two years, and then when you add the turbo and add some extra weight, then revalve it for that later. You know, but if you're like, hey. It's got a V8 in it now, but I'm definitely not driving it until I get the turbo in six months. Order it for the heavier weight now, you know, because you know in six months you're going to have more weight. That makes more sense to me. I agree, but the the two years is a significant difference as opposed to the six-month gap. Right, but the difference in some people's builds that might be the realistic you know no, i have to agreed. save up for two years to get a turbo that's a i i'm <laughs> i'm i'm 11 years building my car and it's still it's still not done <laughs> so you, i'm you no 100 oh we haven't gotten to oh. your final question yet oh yes i can't wait Don't i'm worry. excited now Don't worry. i've been asking all those ones before i ask you the last one um, All right, but I, but I get that, and and then just to add one more thing, so like if you have like a front heavy car, let's say you do, is the ultimate goal to have like a fifty fifty balance, or is it to build your car? It depends as best as you can, you know, as best as you can. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe as close to as fifty fifty as you can, if that's the ideal weight, or what is the ideal weight, and how do you go about setting that car up to be the best it can be, no matter what the weight ratio is, or does the weight ratio really matter at all? And you can just yeah, say that to... 100%. Okay. So it matters 100%. So let's, let's break this down a little, a couple of questions. So we're going to start with what's the best ratio to start with? Is it front heavy or is it completely, you know, balanced car? Or, in, and then secondly, if you don't have a balanced car, how do you compensate? This is a big, <clears throat> there's a lot of things you can do here and I'll break this episode ifs. up into two like I did the last one I asked you if That's I have to, yeah. so, so here's 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 the deal mm-hmm. so if you have uh, if you have more than 52% front weight something needs to change 50, more than 52% is not good in any chassis I don't care what it is you said more than in 50%? My opinion, 52 okay 52% front weight is fine, but any more than that is not ideal in any circumstance. The closer that you get to 50-50, the more oh, the more the car is going to want to have a tendency to over-rotate, and the, the tighter, you're going to have to be very careful driving it. That being said, if you can be very on edge and just very you know control the car very well you can have a faster quicker car but you have to be very careful you can't just throw a car into the corner and just expect it to stick you have to know how hard you can throw it and have it stick compared to a 52 percent 
you know, front weight car, you might be able to flick the crap out of it and just get it and boom, it's just going to stick and go where you want it. But you might not have that forward bite that the 50-50 car has. Does that make sense? Correct. The other side of that, in my opinion, is that the longer the wheelbase, the more front weight you would typically desire. Um, If you have, let's say, well, a Genesis or a Camaro, like a long, you know, 110 to 114 inch wheelbase. Oh, I know a guy who has 113.4 wheelbase, but we'll get into that later. Yeah. So those kinds of cars you typically want to have, in my opinion, a little bit more front weight than you would on a normal car because you're trying to get the back end to switch directions a little bit quicker. Mm -hmm. And because you have all that added wheel base, you need it to move quicker. You need to put it on a diet. In my opinion, it may suffer from forward bite or whatever, but the other uh, disadvantage to that is going to be a significant drop in just drivability, uh, uh, agility. You, it's drifting. You got to be able to change directions quickly, and when you need it to, uh, he anticipate every driver's move every single second. And somebody might move when you don't expect it, and you need to be able to snap that car where it needs to go. And if the car is, you know, too lazy in the back end, you can't get it to do that that's where you see guys where they're driving and you see them and it almost seems like it's an afterthought no they're they're trying to transition when that guy is in the front but their car is lazy and so it looks like this like you know half second or second delay and it's not that they're trying to do that it's just that's all the car is allowing Hmm. so that's my opinion on that arguably Depending on who you're talking to, it's, uh, it's more factual than opinionated. Um, I know you don't put yourself on a pedestal, but a lot of the pro-am guys do. I think it's because of your setup. Yeah, yeah, in regards yep. to setup. A lot of the pro guys do too. Um, so a lot of people, at the same time, it's like the, the, the people who know who you are know who you are. People who don't know who you are, you're just some fucking guy. They know. Um, I think I'm that to everybody. <laughs> no, but that's good. It's it's it's, uh, it's respectful and humbling uh, on your part. I just I'm just a dude. Yeah, my yeah, my favorite example is uh, some people have said some very nice things to me, and I've always mm-hmm. told them I'm not better than everybody. I'm just a little bit better than most. That's that's fair. Um, not no, not Gandhi over here. Yeah, nobody well, is. No, but you're right. Um, and just to touch base on that a little bit, so uh, I've had some people ask me what my favorite episode is that I've recorded. And I'm only going to sure. drop this on based on topics. So right sure. now, I've had sponsorship episodes that I thought were the best. To kind sure. of have an explanation of, of sponsorship topics. I've had build and I've had programs. People talk about their programs who thought they were doing the best or who I thought was doing really well. Um, 
and you know just building car setups so far this one is my favorite building car setup episode because we kind of got into a little bit of that so now i have one um i appreciate that well, don't appreciate it too much i got other questions um it's totally fine fucking asshole not you Trister, oh, four or five. I was about to say, man, this is going great. What are we, what else next? No, this is uh, <laughs> this is my friend from Australia, who's originally from New Zealand. Uh, I've been to both places. Uh, you might know of him because he's fucking on every like car forum for or every drifting forum, and always happens to know like. I am not on forums. I have a stick. I have a stick out for forums. Fuck is going on? Well, not real forums. You know, Facebook group. Um, oh, I'm not out for those either. I'm a part of like two. Yeah, as much as you need to be a part of. Uh, best way to improve CTSV for drift? Asking for a friend. CTSV is that the like constant velocity thingy? So <laughs> that's the. That's <laughs> my power. Can set. I can I pass? <laughs> you know. I just know. There's no way. What are you gonna do with that? I just uh fucking sorry. cross your fingers. Hope for the best. Don't worry, we'll figure it's, that out later. Have yeah. you ever seen the inside of one of those transmissions, by the way? The CTSV. Yeah. Which one? Any of them. The manual. The T56. Have you ever pulled one apart? Because it's pretty simplistic. C no CT. That's those constant velocity transmissions, right? Nope. I'm talking about my stupid chip off. The T oh T fifty six. Yeah, the CTSV is my car. CTSV oh the Cadillac. Yeah, he's really big. You gotta start off with Cadillac CTSV. I'm just reading it as it was written. Best way to improve oh. CTSV for good. Understood. I thought we were talking about CTSV like the transmissions. I thought it was CV- the automatic ones. You mean CVT? Is that what they're called? I think so. Don't ask me, man. I'm not a fucking new car guy. Velocity. CVT. No, I think you're right. Yeah, I might be. I, I might be. But my chick has one, and I love that she has. She has a fucking Corolla, a hatchback. I was like, hey, those but, things are super annoying because when you know the you, fuck like, they're not. The this is the best car I've ever driven in my life. I haven't driven the. Uh, yeah. Anyways, Go all right. right. Um, what's the best way to improve one? I don't know because I haven't built one. Uh, you're, you're gonna look at it eventually. Uh, um, I've, just, I've been. I stared at yours. I know that there's some things on the back end that can be done, like as far as like geometry that I think we can improve. I am 100% willing to pay you for your time to look at the car. I am not 100% willing to pay you to build the car because I cannot afford that in this lifetime or the next. So the front end, yours is McPherson in the front, though, right? No, it is not. It is double this though. Oh, it's so easy. That's what I heard. That's like the best. It's the best scenario you've got. Well, you can't you know, go wrong. Okay, let's be realistic. If, if somebody wanted to, hey, I'm gonna take you my car for the day. I want you to look it over, give me notes. I'm not asking you to do the work. I don't do that normally. You wouldn't do that. Okay, you wouldn't. But... No, I said I wouldn't do that. I said I don't do that normally. Oh, oh okay. Oh. Sorry. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I can't afford you, man. I, I wish I, I fucking can. could. I wish we talked I could. about this in the beginning. Yes, we did. Uh, I wish I could. I really do. Because then I wouldn't have huh? to deal with it. Um, the next one. Next one. Uh, we got... We did the wrong question. We got PS13 Javal. He has two questions. 
Um, we're going to go with the first one, which is, how do I set up my suspension to throw dackies? I think this was the guy that hit me up. Um, so, let's see if I hit that. So, haha, ask Aaron's drift. Ask Aaron, because that dude throws backies all day. <clears throat> and he's got my V1 WiseFab correction kit, my front sway bar. Wait, 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 wait. Uh, I don't know if he ha- still has the S13 or not. I think he. Who? Aaron? No, we're talking about PS13. This, I, hang on. I know. They, I met him in real life twice. Oh, I'm looking at. Well, all I'm saying is, go ahead. That dude, Aaron, throws mad backies all day. Um, yeah, and it's not that. It's just, yeah, big angle. You just have to make sure. So the my V1 YZF correction gets 68 degrees of angle. Mm-hmm. Where did they get the and then, and then, uh, like 64, 65. So it's it's close to the same. Got but it. the so biggest thing, but I don't want to say better. Just a little. I know my different. Truth. It's a little different. Yeah. Uh, um. The the biggest thing is just being able. There's no setup for throwing vacuums. I'll be honest with you. It's understanding how to drive the car around what setup you have. Having, you know, the big angle like that and the big setup helps, which is, you know, a big part of it. But the biggest part is the driver and his ability to be able to throw it backwards, know when he needs to get back on, you know, let the clutch out, how much to get on throttle and be able to pull it out cleanly. That's like, that's the biggest thing so I, there is no real setup for backies it's just practicing and yeah it's all it's just practicing and, and getting good as a driver that's what makes good backies in my opinion i always thought backies were full throttle full angle and just keep throwing it in until you get the right fucking combination of your throw in and render the throttle those are all driver things those are nothing to do with setup necessarily the king the king of backies in my personal opinion just seeing it in pro chelsea denofa yeah see that's where i'm getting at like he's got the same i don't like bringing him up so much because so many like i let me say Mm. this first and foremost i fucking love chelsea denofa but so many people oh hang on hang on i'm gonna say this and i hope everyone hears it if somebody, if he told somebody sucking my dick would make you a better driver, there are people out there that would do it. I don't but probably. Yeah, because people ride his dick so much. And don't no, get me wrong. Here's the thing. He's great. I, here's the, I love here's it. the thing. I've seen his driving in person, mm-hmm. and it's nuts. My yeah. favorite thing was watching him drive in Texas, throwing. Absolute last year, right? Not not twenty twenty. Yeah. Twenty twenty. No, no, no. Twenty nineteen. Last year, the whole yes. layout. Yes. And it was like, oh, and I watched him throw it, and I'm like, eh, we'll see how the judges, you know, view that one. But he he times it so well, he's like, perfect. It was perfect. Yeah. I agree. The judges The thing with the judges is that they say, I don't want to see this. And then when you do it anyways, and you do it really good, then they go, okay, never mind. We changed our minds. That's really cool. Everyone needs to do that. Chelsea did that. Exactly. Chelsea, he, Chelsea 
changed the judge's opinions, even though he was doing backies when they were telling people not to do it. But he wasn't he doing it so where it was untasteable, good. right? Exactly. That's what, okay, and, so we all understand what was going on here. All right, cool. Yeah. That being said, he left himself open, in my opinion, for a chase driver to suck up to him in that spot because he had to scrub so much speed coming around it. But it looked really good. He did it very controllably. It looked amazing. Some drivers were able to take advantage of it. Others were not. Yeah. Regardless of all of that, I think that he's probably one of the best, most aggressive FD drivers I've seen, in my personal opinion. Uh, he's, again, I've been around when he was in the Beamer. I've, you know, I've seen him grow into what he's into he now. is now. Yeah. It's awesome. I don't talk to him all the time. I talk to him here and there. Very rarely. I mean, you're talking, you know, once or twice, maybe tops a year. Um, so I don't want to consider him a friend or an you know, acquaintance, maybe. He thinks differently of me, but um, like, I see that I guy. conversation yeah. to where I he, I know him and I just man, he's humble. He's 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 a really he's a he's a genuine dude. He's really cool. Yeah, and no one <laughs> bitch at me about the comment I made about what I said because some of you guys are very up his fucking ass. You'd suck the fart from his asshole to, to be he's, a better driver. He's a we're all human, dude. Yeah. Any of us, if you want it bad enough, you can be better than him. That's my opinion. I agree. I agree. Um, next question. Same person. Yes, they change the ball. Where do you see the future of Formula Drift going? <sighs> where do I see it going? Where do I want it to go? That's a that's a well, interesting the, his question. Gonna, no, I now you're gonna answer both. <laughs> now, now you, now you've intrigued me. Where no. do you? Let, let's start with his question. Where do you see it going? First, I, I. Here's the thing, and I'll be honest, and I hate this sucks as an answer, and I hate to do this, but I don't know right now because of all the craziness that's been going on with 2020, and I do not want to open that Pandora's box right now. But what I would like to say is that I think that Formula D is 100% doing everything they can to sustain through the situation and create an environment for us to still be able to compete as, you know, shop owners building these cars, team owners, you know, putting their necks out still, you know, and drivers still pushing, you know, to have their own programs or be a part of a program. Um, this is tough. And the fact that they're able to make something happen for us, I think is awesome. Where next year holds, we don't know. Uh, as anybody knows, this stuff's changing Week to week, month to month, it could be all over the place. It could seem good next month and then be worse than the beginning in another month. We just, you never know. Yeah. So no, right now, that's, it's really tough to say right now where it's going. I, you know, if you asked me that question a year ago, I would have had a very different answer uh, that would have had a lot more of a locked on, you know, direction. But right now, I think all of us just need to appreciate the fact that FD is able to survive through this period and put on some sort of a show for every drift fan. Um, it's been it's been tough for all of us. I, and agree. I don't think I don't think that a lot of people really understand, like even us 
you know, crew members and everybody at the track and what we have to deal with and go through with all the regulations and, you know, the stress that this whole year has put on us, uh, you know, where can you wear a mask and not, and what can you do and can't do? And what's, you know, is this event even going to happen? Or are there fans? Oh, there's fans. Yay. We get all of them. There's no fans. It's just all this stuff. And it's like, you know, it's, it's, I, the fact that we had a season, I guess, where do I see FD next season? The fact, the fact of the matter is, I'm just grateful that we have a potential for a season next year, period. I agree That's with you. That's what I see. I agree. Um, so. Given that, given, uh, it, uh, especially from like running a business aspect, like running the uh, department that I run in. Sure. At work, like. I'm like I'm grateful that I was able to, I'm still able to hire somebody in this year to help. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, so, but that's that's a huge no, and it's now, seriously. I don't want to discount that because that's like I'm being serious. Right? Like that's I as a business owner, that's yep. not a small feat, it especially in 2020. With everything that's I trust me, we're on the same page with. Okay, yeah. moving forward with that. Sure. Now the. Yeah. the with with the trajectory that Formula Drift was on, yep. Okay, um, we won't have a we won't ask a mid a mid question as far as like where do you see drifting going as opposed to where do you want it to go. We're just going to ask where you want it to go, and where do you see it going, and let's just say it's a five years from now. Let's let's go with I don't know. Let's well, go with twenty twenty five. Just not even twenty twenty five. Let's just say that. Whatever competition as it's going now, let's put all politics, viruses, whatever aside that we can for now. Where I see it going from this season to next season, my personal opinion, this is tough and I can't say certain things. Because um, of what you know. So let's just say what yeah. you thought of before you, thought you found out that information. No. Even so, I'll tell you this. I think, in general, I think the horsepower numbers that we thought were the norm, I think, are gonna go up potentially for either a brief period of time or permanently. I think that the FD Pro norm of the 900 to 1000, I think. The the twelve to thirteen is gonna be. I'm gonna DM more, Dean um, Kearney right now and be like, "Fuck you, asshole." Is a lot of other people doing and it. And Vaughn. There's a lot. I, I'm not naming names. I just know a lot. Of I people. know who has horsepower stuff. that big. I know who's stepping up their horsepower. Who's still developing an engine. I know a few people. Yeah, that you do. But but it makes sense. <laughs> but the but the sport no, is going to evolve. I think but that's the it. thing is, and that's what it's always done. It's always developed. It's always pushed. And then, you know, if rule changes need to be made, look at F1. They got the car so quick that they're like, oh, no, this is too fast. Back off the horsepower. We're Okay, you can't have a whatever. I don't remember what it was. This, I used to follow F1. So it was like 2011, 2012-ish. They went from the V10s and they stepped them down. I don't remember exactly, but they stepped them down. They go, you guys, the stuff's too fast. And they dumbed down the horsepower and said, this is, or the, not the horsepower, sorry, the leaders that their engines could be. 
to try and slow the cars down. Well, then they just got super smart with that size motor and just made the same horsepower. <laughs> it's just like, okay, you just increased development. You didn't slow the cars down because, you know, F1, those guys, their budgets are stupid. They're going to push every limit they can to its fullest extent, you know? So um, we're getting somewhat to that point where it's like, if you put something out there and say, you can't do this, or this is your limit, we're going to do what we can to push everything else around it. And so there is no horsepower cap. There is no ability to cap horsepower. We try, there, there's an ability to do that with tires, right? With the tire size per weight thing. But, you yeah. know, if you can optimize geometry plus the tire, you know, and then just add a bunch of horsepower, you can have a really, really fast car. Um, you could also optimize a very light car, right? Correct. Correct. But there, what is a light I, I car saving you? I don't want to say too much. Um, it's there's it's an option, is what I'm getting at. That makes sense. That, that makes, makes a lot of there's sense. There's an option. You can go super light and make it a go kart with a 245, which is an option. I think it's 2,400 pounds with a 245. Or something like that, just around that area. Or you could go 3,200 pounds in a 315. You go in either direction. What? What's your recipe, right? In off-road, as an example, there's two... I would break it down to two major theories in Baja, right? The extremely light car that just dances across the whoops. Or an extremely heavy chassis that lets the suspension do the work. And now you can tune the suspension to go through that versus the other cars dancing on top and maybe doesn't have as much control. Which one's the right answer? Because both win. Uh, it's uh, a... What is it? At the, at the end of the day, I think it kind of... It, it's a... Uh, pick your poison kind of situation? Sure. Right? You know, well, it, 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 either, either has, has like its, its ups and the other one has its downs and, and vice versa. Sure. So it's kind of like, what is what is best for you? Sure. Is that where we're at well, in drifting? I I think it's what works. I think it's what works for you. I think it's what weight class works for you because I think several teams have been up or down in weight class and tried them and found what they think works. Yeah, that makes um, sense. But yeah, it's it's tough. It's tough to say that there's a right answer because it's drifting. It's like saying in ice skating that there's some certain skate that works better than all the other ones and that's why they're winning eh, probably not you know maybe it might help one skater or another but and i hate to you know bring it into ice skating because i know that's the like oh i can't believe you're comparing it to come on guys let's all agree here this is uh you know it's a judge motorsport like so is ice skating there's no check except there's no judge you know maybe i could be cooler and be the 90s kid that i am and you know it's bmx or skateboarding yeah. or whatever no no saying. i get what you're saying just, it makes sense it's, but, it's, I get, but i also get what there's you're no saying right like, answer. yeah it's not there's no check or five there's no hey you know you, won. you beat me yeah you were, you were two tenths of a second faster through the last lap through the last corner and you won you're better than you, me oh okay on top of that do you see that coming do you see like a proximity sensor coming no it's not happening because because okay, line no. is so important. Because yeah, you can have proximity, but if you have shit line, 
Or um, it's proximity to zones. Here's I'm talking here's, about proximity here's, to zones. Here's the problem. I think and it, it could go anywhere. But right now, I as being a part of it as long as I have, I remember being a part of Formula D in 2013 and 2014. And in 2014, I remember they got very strict on the criteria of what constitutes a win and what constitutes a loss, what you can uh, protest over and what you cannot. Because, and I don't know, I don't want to say too much, but... It's they they were trying to lock in a more a more steady direction for what it takes to win. Yeah, and that that's understandable. Hey, people want to know what what do I need you to win? I need a, a sure shot at this is what I need to do, and if I'm doing these things, then I'm gonna win. And that turned the series, in my opinion, into not as good of a series as it could have been. And then they shied away from that in 2015. And I saw an improvement and they've been on that same path ever since. Um, Ryan Lantine, as much as maybe some people <clears throat> kind of jaw jack him and, and, and maybe not appreciate what he does for the sport. That guy is, uh, that guy lives FD. He lives drifting. he, he does nothing but try and improve this sport. Sometimes maybe people don't agree with him or agree his, his thought pattern. Yeah. Uh, sometimes I don't, but at the same time, I understand that like that dude out of, and I'll be honest, out of any of the other judges, that dude wants drifting to work and he wants to make it work for us. He wants to make it work for the fans. He wants it to be sustainable. Like, so you know, as much as people don't like him, I really appreciate him. I've had conversations with him. We've talked telemetry and trying to add different things and in the past. And, you know, I really appreciate what he brings to the table um, as far as trying to bring longevity to our sport. So that makes sense. Yeah. I have what one. Else got? I got one more question. It's from our mutual friend here, Eddie Drift. Sure. Um, What's your favorite part about working in FD, and what and your favorite FD yeah. event that you worked? Um, favorite part about working in FD is just <clears throat> being a part of this crazy traveling circus and seeing the same people in different, you know, locations, and uh, getting to work with, you know. Uh, all the different levels of people. Again, you got professionals that are over my head, in my opinion, um, and people that are under me that are learning. And I've been at the bottom and I feel like I'm not at the top. Sometimes I feel like I am. Sometimes I feel like I'm not. I'm all over the place. But um, perspective, right? Mm -hmm. When you have certain perspective, you think you're at the top and then you get into a new perspective. You're like, oh, I'm not, I'm not at the top. Never mind. So, um, uh, that's the beauty of this sport is, is that it's a trailblazing sport. There, we're still figuring stuff out. So you might figure something out one season and somebody else will figure something out the next. That makes sense. Um, uh, you know, Oh, I got this one. Like I'm, you know, I figured this thing out. No one else is gonna get. Oh, what did that guy just do? 
<laughs> Snap. Never mind. I got to figure out whatever he just did. I get the tables can turn so quickly. And that's what I love about it. Off-road, indie car, road racing, time attack, buy a book, follow the book, have a successful race car. Get into drifting. Good luck. You know what I mean? It's just like you have to figure it out. There's no written book. You can, And I have it. Go buy Calvin Wang's drift build book from back in what? Oh, four or five. The oh, fuck six, is that going to do for me in 2020? What, what's that going to do right now? All it is is explaining what an LSD is. Uh, what a what a. Uh, you know, and how it works and what coilovers do for a car and what an ECU is. And like, it's just, it's very, to, today, it's very rudimentary. Back then, it was groundbreaking. People didn't know that stuff. But there is no, like, you can't buy it. There's like no how gray, to. There's no race car vehicle dynamics gray book for $75 that you can buy and then just read it and build a drift car. Yeah, but, that but doesn't arguably. Exist. Let's just say the one we're referring to is a fucking trophy truck car, right? A trophy sure. truck car, sorry, a trophy truck. I mean, no, how to. I, but let's just sure. say that this is just one, this trophy truck book that exists is only one man's, one person's perspective. And another person's perspective and how to do it is going to be completely different. So there's not really a how to, it's just a, a um, this is how I did it, not necessarily a how-to. Um, that is drifting. That is not any other motorsport that I know of. Really? There is okay. a how-to in other motorsports. Okay. I didn't know. Absolutely. I, I'm not a part of yeah. other motorsports. I'm a part of the shit show that we're talking Sure. About. <laughs> no, there is, there is a better way to do things in basically every other motorsport except for, for the most part, one. except for this one. In my opinion, and please, by all means, I'm open for conversation if somebody else has a different opinion. But again, I'm not locked in on any opinion. That's the biggest thing I would like to say about at least myself. My opinions are open. It's they're willing. To, I'm willing to be challenged. If you have a better opinion or a different opinion or whatever you think, even if it's a worse opinion, in my mind, I'm still willing to listen to it because it can inspire either you or I or whoever to come up with something new and cool. I, I don't know if you've had these instances in your life. I have had them several, several times in my life where you go, somebody will ask you a question, go, Hey, why do you do it? Why don't you do it like this? You mm -hmm. go, that's really fucking stupid. But you know what? You mentioned that, but now I'm going to go do this this way. And this is way better than my original idea, right? It has nothing to do with your original idea. It has nothing to do with their idea. It's a completely spawned thing, but what they said sparked something in your brain to come up with something completely different, right? No, that makes sense. Yeah. There's a, and I have to, you know, talk to my dad for the exact, you know, uh, what do they call those? It's just proverbs, right? Just, yeah. you know, words of advice. And it's, you don't you know, even know how to uh, do it. You just need to like a different perspective. And... It, well, it's, it's, it's having one person in a room is one thing, but having two people in a room is worth more than just two people. And then having three people is, you know, worth it's you bounce ideas off each other. I remember, you know, talking to some of my old instructors and they're like, dude, you have no idea. You think you're on to something, right? You're building something badass. And they're like, yo, dude, check this thing out, dude. This thing's badass. And you're like, dude, that's stupid. Like, you need to, this is wrong. That's stupid. This looks terrible. Oh, and you're like, Currently there. Yeah, 
okay, you're right. Okay, back to the drawing board. You know what I mean? Like, it's just, mm-hmm. if you try and build stuff by yourself, it's really difficult to be creative. You have to surround yourself with other people. And I will tangent on that in saying that that is part of why I think Papadakis is so successful in what he does. Because he does not surround himself with people that are not smart as smart as him. He surrounds himself with people that are smarter than him, uh, whether it be in his field or not. He puts people around him to help learn, whether it's him or not. It's just, I need people on my team that are, you know, of that expertise. You know, as an example, I don't, you know, he hired me. I don't feel like I deserve a spot on his team. I'll be blatantly honest. That's, that's, uh, you know, and I'll be honest, it's a bit of a dream come true. That's like a pretty awesome uh, gig to be able to work for him and see all the things that he does and, 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 you know, uh, whatever. I don't want to get into too much, but, um, at the same time, it's like, oh, well, Ryan popped a motor in Irwindale, and it was like, okay, we need to swap a motor. Well, I don't know that car, but I know race cars, so I can help, you know, in some way or another. You know, even Ryan's guys, yeah, you know, uh, Dom and and Nick and and Brian, they don't. I mean, they know the Corolla, but. None of us have ever done a dry run on like swapping a motor. That was all new for all of us, right? Mm-hmm. And we still swapped that motor in an hour and five minutes. So it's it's pretty straightforward it's hiring, the way he's it's hired. Well, no, it's hiring people. He obviously he does a very good job at engineering the car to be easy to work on, but he also hires people that know what they're doing to where you don't have to ask them. But you don't have to tell them what to do. They just know what to do. They just get it done. I jumped in. And I was like, I literally, and I can explain to you. Like I was standing there, and I asked them, "I go, what do you, what do you even do?" He goes, "There's enough people here. We don't need to help. Uh, just stand off to the side. If they need you, they'll call you. Just hang out." And I'm like, "Okay." And I stood off to the side, and all of a sudden, I look underneath the car, and about five minutes later, I'm standing there waiting, just like. They're going to need me at some point. And I see Mario underneath the car trying to pull the transmission. He's struggling and he's getting a little frustrated with some stuff. And I'm just like, I got to jump underneath there. Jump. What do you need? He's like, dude, this thing's hot. This and that. I grab burn sleeves. We're grabbing rags. You know, because the transmission's literally hot after a run. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. What do you need? What tool do you need? I need this. I need that. Where's this? And just hand it tools and just, you know, I'm not. Not an idiot. Just, people need stuff. People need tools. What do you need? You know, we're pulling stuff, get stuff out. You know, I don't want to say I was the reason why it got done in an hour and five minutes, but I was a part of it. Like it just yeah, no, that's, 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 that's understandable. It's, you understand how I, a car goes together I, and comes apart. You take you take somebody like me out of that equation and put somebody that's green in that position, and they would have been like, I'm just gonna stand off to the side, and maybe it would have taken an hour and 10 minutes or an hour and 15, you know, or whatever. But, and maybe it didn't matter in that circumstance, but I've watched Steph literally. So I think it was 2016 in Seattle, maybe 2017. I think it was 2016 though. <laughs> Did a qualifying run, 
popped his motor on his first qualifying run, and I their pit was right in row. I could see their pit from where I was standing in the hot pit. Watched them swap their motor. Three guys. It was uh, I think it was three guys. Um, in 45 minutes, and they were back out for their second qualifying run. Not rushing, not making, you know, not doing anything irrational. Not just running around, like chickens with their head cut off. Exactly. Precise. It was very methodical. Yeah. But they've all been racing for so long together that they they know what each person's move is going to be. I, it's, it's been a real pleasure working with them. I'm going to be honest. It's, it's really cool seeing people that have been working together for that long. Drifting hasn't been a lot around long, as long as they've been working together. Yeah. And I always thought that was like, uh, when I, when I found out you got added to that team, cause I know your history or, you know, some sure. of it, I've learned a lot more today. Um, I always thought that you were like the perfect fucking addition to that team. And then just to find out, like, you fresh in, being able to help out, swap a motor you've never touched before. Like, what does next year hold if you're on that team again? You know what I mean? Sure. You're only adding to the sauce. You're only making the sauce uh, better. So I, would, I, would hope, I would hope that that's how I'm viewed. I always view myself differently, but that's me. I've always been very hard on myself and always wanted to do I think when you're hard on yourself, that means you're you're willing to make yourself better and you expect better of yourself. So that's not necessarily a bad thing. Sometimes a great thing. It is. Um, Uh, I think with that, man, we're about to push three hours. We're going to call it right here, sir. Sounds good. I don't think this is our last episode. We're going to have to have another one at some point. Not anytime soon. You know, we have fresh things to talk about. You don't want to do one tomorrow? Are you kidding? No, I do not. Nope, nope. I do not feel like drinking again tomorrow. Um, I'm going to hate myself tomorrow morning. I have enough stuff to do tomorrow, so. Mm -hmm. Same here. Um, Again, I do want to thank you for coming on the show. Absolutely. If you would like to plug yourself or people can find you. Uh, which I will be tagging you on Instagram, but people who don't actually yeah. use Instagram uh, for this podcast. Whatever. Just Nate. Is, I, I'm Bink Industries. I, uh, yeah, again, I just build competition drip cars and that's it. Start to finish. Roll a car in with nothing and roll out with a running car and they're competitive and I'm always pushing. But any boundary I can with the series we've been in since 2000, essentially 2012, and I haven't stopped, and I'm not stopping anytime soon. So, alrighty, sir. Alrighty. Thank you for coming on. Thank you. Sounds good, bud. Talk to you soon. We will. All right, man. Have a good night. You too. Right. Bye. Bye-bye.